Hey there, Internet. I'm Annie. I'm Kit. And I'm Mac. And this is I Will Fight You, a podcast where we've been turning opinion into stone cold facts since 1986. Today's fact, Romeo and Juliet is not about what you think it's about. I'm really excited about this one today, y'all. Yeah. And the you in that, we are also including the people on Reddit who feel compelled to prove that they're smarter than a 500-year-old playwright. (laughs) You know, there's a lot to say about Romeo and Juliet, and people have been saying it over and over and over and over and over and over again. So there's a lot of versions of Romeo and Juliet out there. There's there's so (laughs) many versions of Romeo and Juliet out there. There's so many. And we've been talking about Romeo and Juliet adaptations. This has been on our list for a really long time. And when we decided to sit down and do this, we decided, well... It. There's three of us. Let's each watch a different adaptation. And let's compare notes. This may prove to have been a bad idea, but I think it's going to be fun. It's going to be hilarious. So what we're basically going to do here, and we just kind of discussed this a couple minutes ago, so we'll see how this works. We are going to be talking about our different movies that we watched, and then we will be going act by act from Romeo and Juliet, the play. So we're talking about a five act structure here, folks. And we will be talking about what happens in the actual play, and then we will attempt to map our movies onto this structure and see exactly what diverges. (laughs) And folks, it's going to diverge pretty quick. (laughs) We should discuss what movies each of us watched. Kit, do you want to start? Because I think you have the... uh... Yeah, you you have the closest to canon, I think, Kit. Yes. Yeah, the one I'd watch was probably the most faithful adaptation of of everything we've got here, which is Baz Luhrmann's 1996 movie Romeo plus Juliet with Leonardo DiCaprio and Claire Danes as the titular characters. It transposes everything into modern day Los Angeles while still calling the city Verona, despite the fact that that's not what Verona looks like now or ever. Uh, (laughs) You know, it's kind of like Versailles, Indiana. You know, it's it's got the same name. Yes, it's actually pronounced Versailles. It's actually, yeah, Yeah, it's actually pronounced Versailles. Yes. And yeah, I think my favorite adaptational detail of this one is the fact that they've changed Paris's name to Dave Paris. Dave Paris, so everyone's just calling him by his last name. Dave Paris, as played by fuck, who plays Ant Man? Paul Rudd. Yeah, Paul Rudd plays Dave Paris. Paul Rudd. Paul Rudd is playing Dave Paris. Paul Rudd is Paris. Paul Rudd is Paris. <laughs> wow. Somehow I have completely missed seeing Romeo plus Juliet. Yeah. Also, Miriam Margulies as nurse in like a not particularly good Spanish accent. Oh boy. Yeah. I think mine might be the next in line in terms of canon closeness. I watched... (laughs) That's really funny compared to the sentence I'm about to say. I watched 2011's Gnomeo and Juliet. Oh, boy. The one with lawn gnomes. It was made, again, in the year of our Lord 2011, which I definitely thought that, like, there would be a very substantial Wikipedia page to explain why the hell they made a Romeo and Juliet movie about lawn gnomes in the year of our Lord 2011. And I got nothing, folks. I would have killed to be in the pitch meeting for this movie. How on earth did they sell this? As far as I can tell, it is literally just... They had the spec script. They probably built it all on the strength of, hey, Romeo, lawn gnome, and you smush those two together and it says, Gnomeo. (laughs) (laughs) This is directed by Kelly Asbury, who also directed Shrek 2 and Smurfs the Lost Village and Spirit Stallion of the Cimarron, which I would like to believe that he is personally responsible for saying, no, let's put in Matt Damon voicing over the whole horse movie. And it was written by three guys who have written vanishingly little else before or since. (laughs) But 
there is no explanation that I could find for a movie about two garden gnome armies who fight and live by Toy Story rules where they can't be seen by people and then they smooch. <laughs> yeah, no, I need an explanation. I need to know the genesis of this concept. Yeah, because it's clearly the result of some kind of like sustained madness, but I, I got nothing. Mac, tell us about your movie, your selection. <laughs> I watched a film that you could only find on YouTube. Not even going to call it a movie, a film. It's a film! It's uploaded by a man with 800 subscribers, with 500,000 views, and the only description on it is greatest movie ever made. Really? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a film by Phil Nibelink Productions and by Phil Nibelink himself. He wrote it, he directed it, he animated it in Flash. No. What? He did everything entirely on his own, Phil Nibelink did. No. Phil Nibelink, for those who don't know, worked on Who Framed Roger Rabbit and American Tale, Five Goes West, and We're Back, A Dinosaur Story, and Balto, and he did a bunch of stuff, and I watched Romeo and Juliet sealed with a kiss. About seals, f***ing. Yeah, see, see, it's a, it's a joke. Much like Gnomeo, this one is, they're, they're seals. They make out a lot in this movie. Why would you ever try to adapt Romeo and Juliet to be a children's movie? About seals. Well, I mean, I guess the protagonists are children. <laughs> they are. <laughs> I gotta say, if nothing else, this adaptation, which I have seen before, I don't know why I'm so shocked about how bad it is. I've watched it before and know it was bad. Annie actively told me to turn it off when we were watching it during college. Yeah. Yeah. Look, uh, much like Oscar the Grouch, I love trash. Annie has like flamingo level salinity tolerance for trash movies. And I said like five minutes into Mackenzie, as soon as they show me this, this horrible elephant seal thing, I'm like, Mackenzie, we need to watch something else. And yet, I think after that, we turned on a whole bunch of tales from the crypt. That's, that's, that's usually what we do. I watched it and I had to do it in 15 minute chunks because I couldn't <laughs> do it more than that. I want to note that the first note that I made, and this doesn't have to do with the show at all, was that Phil Nibelink Production produ Productions Productions Phil Nibelink Productions the logo yeah Phil Nibelink has done a Disney logo and then Productions is Comic Sans and that should tell you everything you need to know about the film <laughs> oh golly. I also do want to call out an honorable mention, a couple honorable mentions to some other Romeo and Juliet movies that we didn't do, because again, there are a whole lot. There's a whole lot. And we thought about doing as many as we could, but you know, three's enough. Yeah. There's one that Mackenzie and I watched that was a hip hop musical. Rome plus Jewel, baby. Called Roman Jewel, whose incredibly repetitive songs I sometimes still get stuck in my head. <laughs> I also want to call out to the one that Rio brought up when I mentioned that we were doing this episode, which is, I think it's called Cold Bodies or Warm Bodies or something. It's that movie that- Oh, the zombie movie. The zombie movie. Yes. Her name is like Julie or Juliet or something. And the zombie's name is actually like, Arr, like R. <laughs> so it is apparently actually kind of a Romeo and Juliet movie. Okay. There's a lot of these out here, folks. There's even like- <laughs> animated cartoon movies about the true story with animal friends of Tristan and Isolde. So there's so much. Look, you all know about Romeo and Juliet, right? You know it was written by William Shakespeare. It's a play. Yeah. <laughs> it's a 500-year-old play. <laughs> it's a 
500-year-old play, you kind of know how this whole thing goes. Everyone knows how this whole thing goes, but they always seem to focus on the idea of star-crossed lovers and not the part where they all die at the end. Yeah. See every teen movie ever, especially Twilight. Mm. Twilight actually goes into the whole thing. It sure does. Oh, sorry. You just got me thinking about uh, the vampire deciding that he's going to show everyone he's a vampire by walking out in the middle of Italy in body glitter. And that's the big dramatic beat. <laughs> Welcome. That's what I'm here for. Oh, boy. Harpo. Okay. Shall we get into it? Yeah. I guess. Okay. <laughs> so I guess before we even start with Act 1, we have the prologue. This is something you have probably heard before. <clears throat> Yeah, in Fair Verona, where we set our scene, etc., etc. I actually have it copied down. Mackenzie, you're pretty good at this. Do you want to read it, or...? I should probably close the seal with a kiss version. I would say yeah. <laughs> Two households, both alike in dignity, in Fair Verona, where we lay our scene. From ancient grudge bricked new mutiny, where civil blood makes civil hands unclean. From forth the fatal loins of these two foes, a pair of star-crossed lovers take their life, whose misadventured piteous overthrows do with their death bury their parents' strife. The fearful passage of their death-marked love and the continuance of their parents' rage, which but their children's end not could remove, is now the two hours' traffic of our stage. The which, if you with patient ears attend, what here shall miss our toil shall strive to mend." Which I should point out that back in the Elizabethan era, they could have got through this in two hours because the recitation of the dialogue was very da 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 yeah. went very fast. These days, with people trying to emote with this dialogue, it takes much longer than two hours. <laughs> Unless you're Nomeo and Juliet, which is a lean 86 minutes. Oh, dear God. <laughs> oh, uh, hold on. Sealed with a kiss is 72 minutes. Ooh. How long was Romeo plus Juliet? Two hours on the dot. Ooh. <laughs> they really committed. I think they had to cut some stuff as a result. But first off, the purpose of this in the actual play when it was being performed in the Elizabethan era was basically, it's the same as like the first scene in Phantom of the Opera with the auction. It's there just to have something happening while people are getting to their seats. And secondly, it's there as like a guide to what's going to happen for the people who aren't really paying attention, are going to have to leave early or who are arriving late. You know, it's an old song. It's a sad song. Don't worry about it. We're going to watch it again. You know how this goes, folks. <laughs> so I actually have a prologue in mind. Yeah, Romeo plus Juliet has this prologue. It has it as a f***ing news story. It's a Boz Lerman movie. So okay. This little like 80s vintage television pops up on screen and the camera slowly zooms towards it. It's just a television floating in the void and it pops on <laughs> and it's just like this modern newscaster reading this exactly, which is your warning that despite this being a modern day adaptation, they are going to use all of Shakespeare's dialogue <laughs> in this movie. So this is meant to be like a news retrospective? Yeah, this is supposed to be like a news retrospective of, well, at the very least, the opening is. It's the news mm -hmm. story about what happened. And then... Then we flash back. And then you, then you flash back and you, it opens with a f***ing... The, the movie opens with a trailer for itself. Like a title sequence? Not even really a title sequence. It shows a lot of shots of Los Angeles pretending to be Verona. Mm -hmm. And a lot of shots of the characters. And it actually has like... The trailer style starring so-and-so as character name huh. flashing up on screen. It's a artistic choice. Huh. I also have a prologue. Nomeo and Juliet actually starts as though you are looking at a stage from the audience with like a drawn curtain. And there's even like an orchestra like 
tuning and everything. And then a gnome arrives on screen to announce that we're about to be watching Romeo and Juliet as though there is actually a chorus. And he's like, (laughs) the story you are about to see has already been told a lot and you're going to hear it again, but different. This is the whole pitch. (laughs) The movie's justifying its own existence in the first scene. Always a good sign. Yeah. And then the gnome is like, but there's a long, boring prologue and I'm about to read it to you. And they do a little joke where he's got like a whole big, long scroll. Do they actually call it a long, boring prologue? He calls it a long, boring prologue. It's 14 lines. (laughs) Don't dunk on your own source material. What are you doing? It's 14 (laughs) lines, my dude. We just did it. It takes less than like 20 seconds. How cool is your life that this is too much time to spend on reading something? They even do a whole bit where he's got like a big long scroll that he unrolls that shoots at the camera because maybe this was 2011 and it was in 3D at the time. (laughs) And he starts in on like two houses, both like in dignity, whatever. And then he gets yoinked off stage by like a shepherd's crook made out of, I think, like a wire hanger. Mackenzie, did you have a prologue, Mackenzie? I don't remember. We zoom in on an outcropping of a rock. <laughs> a tree is on top and waves are coming in. We see this from fucking 50 different angles. Okay, it's like 10. I actually counted it was 10, but it feels like 50 because it's going on. And we zoom in then on a reflection of the tree from the top of the rock. Okay. And there's like a red glob and then a voice who I think is Benvolio, who sounds like he's recording in a phone booth. Once upon a time in a world not very different from our own, there lived two families. Huh. Alike in dignity, differing only in color. Uh-huh. The Capulets and the Montagues. From ancient grudge, these two families sought for sand and sea. From these two foes came two star-crossed lovers. And that's our prologue. Jesus Christ. Uh, it lacks a bit of the poetry. Yeah, lacks a bit of lyricism, I gotta say. (laughs) And you're just staring at a picture of a tree. I wish I could emphasize how much you (laughs) stare at this tree. This movie, it likes doing this, where it will randomly show you something and then show you ten angles of it. And you're like, why am I seeing this from ten different angles? I don't know. Which is interesting because, like, if you're doing it from that many different angles, that means that you're doing that many different shots. You're drawing that many different things. It doesn't seem like that would really save you all that much in terms of your budget. Wouldn't it think so? I mean, it's still static, but you're still, like, drawing more. They're still flash seals, buddy. (laughs) Okay, so that's our prologue. And then we begin in Act 1, which in the play, how Act 1 functions. And there's a couple of different summaries that I've gathered together that I'm going to be reading. The one that I'm pulling from most is going to be from AbsoluteShakespeare.com. Because the Cliff Notes webpage chose to organize these by actual in-story days rather than the act structures themselves. Why? (laughs) Yeah, which, you know, does put things into perspective, but it also means that you're going to like day one Sunday, act one, scene one to act two, scene two. And it's like, no, just back up two. (laughs) Just back up two scenes. Act one. Samson and Gregory, servants to the Capulets, and Abraham and Balthazar, servants to the Montague family, start a street war which is joined by Benvolio, a Montague, and Tybalt, a Capulet. Aeschylus, the prince of Verona, who angrily learns of this fight, declares a death penalty for further feuding between the two families. Romeo, we learn, is lovesick. Rosalind, the object of his affections, will not requite his love. His friend Benvolio tells Romeo to look at other girls. 
Meanwhile, Capulet is keen for Paris to marry his daughter Juliet and plans a party to be held later that night. Romeo and friends decide to turn up uninvited, Romeo hoping to see Rosalind, whom he still pines for. Lady Capulet discusses the idea of marriage to Paris with Juliet, Juliet keeps her options open, the nurse wishes Juliet every possible happiness. Meanwhile, Mercutio attempts to cheer a lovesick Romeo up, telling him to be rough with love if need be. And then he also goes on a weird f***ing rant about Queen Mab. (laughs) (laughs) At the Capulet's party, Romeo, who is disguised by a mask, falls in love with Juliet on sight. Capulet stops Tybalt from attacking Romeo at his party, telling him that there will be other opportunities. Both Romeo and Juliet learn that they are each enemies of the other's family. A prologue sung by a choir dramatizes the conflict both Romeo and Juliet feel between their love for one another and their loyalty to their respective families. That's act one. Romeo plus Juliet follows that quite closely, except for the fact that A, it takes place in the 90s. B, it takes place in Los Angeles, which is pretending to be Verona. C, the initial brawl takes place at a fucking gas station. A gas station? Yeah, it takes place at at a fucking gas station in which the Montague boys, which are introduced as the Montague boys on screen, big letters, (laughs) roll up in their car, start talking shit. One of them has like, they are like peak, like Los Angeles white boys. Mm -hmm. They got Hawaiian shirts. They've got dyed pink and bleached hair. Oh, golly. They have desert eagles that have sword engraved on the side so they can call them (laughs) swords in the dialogue. Oh, yeah, yeah, right, right. The guns with swords on them. Yeah, they're goofing around. The Capulets roll up in their own car, which is a much better car. Amongst them is Tybalt, played by John Leguizamo, who invented a whole new gender for this movie. John Leguizamo was Tybalt in this? John Leguizamo was Tybalt in this. Oh, bless his heart. It's a lot. Him playing Tybalt is so much. (laughs) He's got like some flamenco dancer shit going on. John Leguizamo (laughs) just puts so much into every single role that he does, I swear. It's just so much. It's so much. He's doing gun katas all over the place. And then the gas station ends up catching fire as a result of the brawl. How? Gas. Yeah. Gas. Okay. Okay, sure. Yeah. Do they do the bite the thumb thing? Oh, God. Yeah. But it's the dumbest possible execution. Really? (laughs) Yeah. It's made into this like this really big goofy gesture instead of like the normal Elizabethan like, you know, basically flipping someone off thing. Yeah. Like the subtle fuck you. Yeah. The subtle fuck you. And then like we get further and further into... Basically the same events with, you know, Mercutio's weird rant. Mercutio is played by Harold Perrineau, by the way, and is very good as Mercutio, but his weird rant is basically him being on drugs and getting Romeo to also take drugs. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, that's pretty much the best explanation for suddenly your really intense friend has a whole lot of opinions about fairies. (laughs) Yeah. The Montagues and the Capulets in this are played as, like, I'm guessing rival mob families. They never quite lay it out because Shakespeare didn't write any of the dialogue to explain why this happens, what the deal is, because Shakespeare was writing these two as noble families, which something that I think is part of the reason why Romeo and Juliet gets so badly misinterpreted in the modern day is that, like, a lot of people, especially smug people on the internet, are like, oh, well, these characters don't have the same, like, value systems, genre awareness, and emotional intelligence of me, a modern-day contemporary middle-class American. Therefore, they're stupid and or this is written badly. But the fact that these are noble houses just basically plays into a lot of what happens, because in the time and place that this play was first performed, the fact that these characters were nobles meant certain things. One of them being that nobility is a magical property conveyed largely through, like, blood descendancy, 
And secondly, is that for a long period of history up until relatively recently, law derived from whatever the nobles said. So, like, there was a set of rules for the nobles and there's a set of rules for everybody else. And never the twain shall meet. And for me, Romeo and Juliet is largely about the conflict between old law and new law. The old law of eye for an eye, blood debts, blood feuds, etc., etc., etc. And the new law of we have guards and police and courts and judges. And it's not necessarily equally applied, but that's the principle of the thing. And that's why... (laughs) That's why the Prince of Verona is like, you cannot keep brawling in the streets. We don't live like this anymore. Yeah, that is definitely the thing that I think a lot of adaptations, not necessarily the ones we watched, me and Mackenzie, but a lot of the adaptations will attempt to do this by also bringing in class difference. See West Side Story in particular. Honorable mention to West Side Story, by the way. Honorable mention to West Side Story, which for some reason we're not talking about today. But For some reason, we decided to watch a couple of children's movies instead of <laughs> West Side Story. <laughs> but like West Side Story being the one that, you know, actually West Side Story and actually also Roman Jewel, both also add in a class difference system. Rome plus Jewel also adds in a race difference. Yeah, that's one of the reasons we didn't talk about yeah. it. <laughs> I mean, class warfare also tends to at least give some kind of modern day impetus for these sorts of rivalries, although it doesn't quite explain why they would keep running into each other all the time. West Side Story does that better than something like Roman Jewel. Because, you know, we do still have that kind of law iniquity where usually the punishment for something tends to be something that can be negated with money. Yeah, but we don't have necessarily, or at least it's reduced to subtext, the idea that there are certain people who are ordained by God to be inherently superior and <laughs> and rule over others. I don't know. That sounds a lot like a bunch of weird Elon Musk stands I've talked to. I haven't <laughs> talked to them. God, no, I haven't talked to them. That sounds like a lot of weird Elon Musk stands I've seen on the internet. <laughs> yeah, but it's the subtext, not the text. Mm. So you also have like... Them going to the party, them meeting. Yeah, yep. Yeah, the party itself is still like the party that Capulet is throwing for Paris. It is a costume party. Romeo is high when he shows up, and this is the worst party possible for him to be high at. <laughs> you have Mercutio and Drag, which is very good. And then, and then you have Romeo and Juliet, basically. There's, it's this kind of cute sequence where they're basically evading Juliet's mother and nurse as they, like, neck all over the party. It's cute. And then, you, of course, you have at the end of the scene where they find out, oh, that's Capulet's daughter that I've been necking with. Oh, that's Montague's son that I've been necking with. That's also another question, actually. Is Rosalind present in your version? No. <laughs> she is mentioned. She's not there. Okay. Yeah, because this is something that I think a lot of virgins tend to cut, which is that when you meet Romeo, he is already just a miserable little sad sack about a lady that he likes. Yeah. Named Rosalind. Who does not like him back. (laughs) You never see her. It's just that he's like, ah, me, sad hours are long. I will never see Rosalind. And they're like, oh my god, dude, cheer the fuck up. Let's go to a party. Yeah. Get over it, my man. Just get over it. So, you know, they have that and then like, that's the whole thing for it. Let's take Romeo to a party. And then this idiot decides that he is instantly going to just get involved with like another girl that he is definitely going to get married to and it's going to be fine. He's a teenager. This is, yeah. 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 (laughs) It's very realistic for dumb teens. (laughs) My version, there's not really, 
they have a reason for not liking each other, I guess. And it's because there's like a duplex, one that is painted blue, one that is painted red, two halves. Oh, for God's sake. There is Ms. Montague and Mr. Capulet who live next door to each other. Oh my God. They hate each other. You never actually see their faces, but they're apparently just a couple of old folks who are very into their gardens, even though you never actually see them working in their gardens and hate each other a lot. Excellent. They leave for the day and then the weather vanes come alive and crow to alert that all the garden gnomes and sprinklers and lawn features can also come alive because they, they're all living. They're all sapient. I don't like that. No, me neither. <laughs> anything, anything could be sapient if you give it a face. <laughs> we immediately just throw away this whole Capulet and Montague thing in favor of using primary colors. So we've got the reds and the blues and everything is red and blue colored. You would think they would do something eventually with mixing the colors and being purple, but not really. The gnomes are led by Lord Redbrick and Lady Blueberry, just so we don't get confused about the colors. <laughs> the blues have a toilet in their yard as decor that's going to be important later. I hate that that's going to be important later. <laughs> Don't worry, there's actually no poop jokes, which is weird because this is a garden, so you'd think there'd at least be a fertilizer somewhere. In my version, we have cut the character of Mercutio entirely. He's best. We have Nomeo and his best friend, Benny. Oh, no. Why is Nomeo the only character with gnome in his name? It's a great question. I don't <laughs> know. Mio. Benny is like Benvolio and Mercutio kind of rolled into one, except he's not volatile. He's just kind of a weird little sad sack, but he does pick up some of Mercutio's like narrative roles later on while still just being just kind of a little weirdo. Nomeo is the son of Lady Blueberry, who's like, good luck doing crimes against the Reds, dear. Meanwhile, we have Juliet, who is not like other girls. <laughs> she sees a Cupid's arrow orchid growing on top of a greenhouse a couple houses down, which looks like an orchid, but some of the flowers grow in a little heart shape in the middle. And she's like, oh, we need to get that. And somehow that will make us better than our rivals, the Blues. Okay. Lord Redbrick, her father, is played by Michael Caine, which is weird because we had just watched Muppet Christmas Carol recently. <laughs> How'd they get Michael Caine? <laughs> Patrick Stewart plays a role later on. What? No. Maggie Smith is Lady Blueberry. Dear God. Yeah, they went down a, a who's who of a lot of, like, famous British actors for Nomeo and Juliet. Fuck's sake. Yeah. There must have been some, like, very concentrated, motivated madness to make this movie. I just have to assume. Juliet is not like other girls. She can do jumps. Oh. Lord Redbrick wants to keep her in a tower feature in the garden because she's delicate and he makes a big emphasis on that. And you think that would be like a plot point where she'll break later, but no. But Juliet's a cool girl character. Instead of a brawl, we have a lawnmower race between Tybalt and Nomeo in the alley. And the lawnmower gets hit by a car. It goes out into the street, gets hit by a car, and is totaled, the blue lawnmower. And then Tybalt kicks Benny on the way out. Oh, yeah, there's also a gnome officiating the race voiced by Dolly Parton. What? What? Yeah. She gives the rules. She has a whole long speech, and she's also got little ceramic titties. Unfortunate. Yeah, Dolly Parton's in this, too. 
Nomia was like, oh, you can't get away for cheating at lawnmower racing and kicking Benny. Let's break into the Red Garden. Let's go do crimes. So instead of a party, what happens is Nomio sneaks in, does some heisty crimes in the Red Garden, while Juliet sneaks out with the help of her friend, who is the nurse, who is a frog named Nanette. Okay. Like a ceramic frog with like a weird little like water spigot in her mouth which you see sometimes flop around and it feels indecent to see. (laughs) Helps her sneak out by donning like a sock so she looks like a ninja and there's kind of some ninja music.mp3 happening. Dear God. And she sneaks out to go to this abandoned greenhouse to climb on top to get this orchid. Somehow Nomeo, while escaping from the Red Garden, getting away from Tybalt, like he has also put on some mud over his little like ceramic body so that and like some of his terracotta stuff so he's like muddy you can't see that he's blue juliet's got the black sock on so you can't see that she's red they meet on top of this greenhouse roof and there's a song that was commissioned i guess and submitted for best original song bold of them (laughs) that was performed by elton john and lady gaga no What? Yeah. What? Because when I think a heterosexual love ballad, the people I think for that... I think Elton John and Lady Gaga. I think Elton John and Lady Gaga. (laughs) Oh my god. (laughs) Some incredibly heterosexual performers, I think. And then they have a little, like, chase scene in the garden. That's their little meet cute in this greenhouse. And, like, flirt with each other while trying to get this orchid... And then they fall in the water, their disguises come off, and they realize, oh my god, you're a red and a blue. And then Juliet escapes back to the garden, and that's the end of our play act one, I guess. I can't say I'm particularly thrilled to find out what happens next. That sounds... (laughs) Oh god. Lawn gnomes. All right, Mackenzie, make it worse. (laughs) Cue a jazzy opening. Oh no. Benvolio, who is a chubby seal who has the worst voice recording because he is the one who sounds like he recorded in a phone booth what was standing 10 feet away from the phone booth. Oh, kind of like the guy recording the lines for a talking cat? Yeah, exactly, actually. His voice is kind of a nasal. Oh, no, guys. Oh, God. Anyway, he's walking along. He's a brown seal, a Montague. The white seals are Capulets. It's just white and brown? White and brown. There are three Capulet seals. They go, oh, it's a Montague. And he goes, oh, no, it's Capulets. And there's a very long chase sequence. It's only like 30 seconds, but it feels interminable. Okay, so the seals still have last names. Yes. Okay. It's the type of seal you are, apparently. Okay. As Benvolio runs, he starts shouting, McCartney! Oh, sorry, hold on, let me put on my nasally Benvolio voice. Mercutio! <laughs> oh, 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 you know, that's okay. You don't have to do <laughs> You don't have to do that for us, Mackenzie. Imagine, if you will, that someone just recorded a single take of a nasally voiced boy standing five feet away from a phone booth, shouted Mercutio, and then they just replayed it. Ad nauseum. Like they just did one take? They just did one take. They did not have him repeat that, and it just played over and over again. Oh, no. Mercutio's thing at first is that he just randomly quotes Shakespeare. Wait, I remember that. And he's not even like, they're not even usually like appropriate for the moment or from the same play. 
Exactly. So you know how Benvolio's running towards him shouting his name right now? Mercutio perks up and goes, Oh, Benvolio, I knew him well. Cry havoc! And let's slip the dogs of war. <laughs> but you know him right now. Mercutio then fights the Capulets. Why is Mercutio fighting the Capulets? Is, is, is he a Montague in this? He's a Montague in this. But he's not a Montague. Mercutio is the prince's, like, cousin. The, don't even think about it, kid. He's a Montague. I thought Benvolio was the prince's cousin. No, Mercutio is the prince's cousin. Benvolio is also a Montague. Just don't worry about it. Don't Benvolio's worry about it. a Montague. He's, he's uh, Romeo's cousin. Ah. As Mercutio leaps down to fight the Capulets, he goes, To be or not to be, that is the question, capiche? I am constant as the northern what? star. <laughs> I'd give real money if he'd shut up. Is that a threat? Is he using that as a threat? <laughs> he's using that as a threat. Benvolio says, Ow, he's definitely not meant to be, says Benvolio. What? And then Mercutio growls, and all the Capulets immediately flee, because I guess he's scary. Okay. We then repeat the same cry of Mercutio from Benvolio that was already pre-recorded. No new takes. None needed. There's now a chase scene that goes back and forth with Mercutio and Benvolio chasing the Capulets. And then more Capulets join with those Capulets and they go back and forth and back and forth. It's real Scooby-Doo in here. (laughs) And then there's like a bunch of dog growling noises. Like the seals are growling? The seals are growling like dogs. Okay. And then we suddenly get the oink, 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 oink of seals. What? They do dog growling, but then sometimes they do like barking, like like seal barking? They do seal barking. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, yeah, okay, yeah, okay, yeah. okay. So that's the opening scene. Annie, I can see why you found this unwatchable. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was actually the Mercutio stuff that I was just like, uh-uh, no. <laughs> we now pan to that same tree we stared at forever in the opening. <laughs> no! <laughs> See, it comes back. It's a good movie. (laughs) Juliet is there. Juliet is a white seal with eyelashes. No other seal has eyelashes. Don't worry about it. Are there any other girl seals? No, there are other girl seals, I think. We'll get there. But they don't have eyelashes. They'll show up at the party. Okay. That's the only time they show up. Gotcha. None of them have eyelashes, though. So as Juliet watches, jazzy music breaks out and the seal war keeps happening. It's nonstop. Mercutio shouts... All the world's a stage as he puts a lobster on a Capulet's butt. God, what? What? Why? And then we fade from that and then we zoom in on (laughs) Romeo, who is sitting on a different rock without a tree, but it looks exactly like the tree rock, just sans tree. (laughs) So they just, they just remove that part of the cell. They just remove that part of the setting. They just had rock asset. (laughs) (laughs) And Romeo's sitting on top of this rock and kind of looking sad. Romeo looks exactly like Juliet, but he's brown and no eyelashes. So you can tell they're meant to be. They have complementary character designs. Yeah, exactly. And by that, I mean the same character design, but one of them's a lady. In the distance, there's a fire. A fire. And then Mercutio comes surfing in, shouting, bubble, bubble, toil and trouble. What? God damn it. Why? (laughs) Why does he say? (laughs) Is he farting? What's happening? He slams into Romeo. And then we suddenly flash back to the seal fight. I don't know why Bonvolio and Mercutio left. Why was there a fire? I don't know what's going on. The seal fight's still going on. Mercutio and Bonvolio were the start of it. What's on fire? Mackenzie, what's on fire? <laughs> I don't know. But there's like a fire <laughs> and then there's Mercutio coming in surfing. Okay. So that's where I left my cigar. That just raises further questions. And the prince shows up. Who I think is at one point called Tabalt. No. Okay. The prince 
is an elephant seal. But the prince is also Paris. But he's also Paris. And Tybalt. But he's also Tybalt. And he's also ominously just called the prince most of the time. Right. So they're all combined into one character. And he's going to want to wed Juliet later. That's not come up yet. He basically is like, all of you stop fighting. I should say that you can't understand a word the princess. As in like on purpose or? So you know how Benvolio was recorded five feet away from a stage? Yeah. Imagine if somebody voice recorded 20 feet away from the phone booth (laughs) and they were very drunk. So they scarbled everything. (laughs) Gotcha. That's the prince. Maestro. (laughs) A tango, please. So he says something that sounds like... (laughs) And it ends with banishment to Shark Island. Banishment to Shark Island? That's the only part I could understand. There are no closed captions for this. I gotta say that if there's anywhere that I'm pretty sure a shark cannot live, (laughs) (laughs) it's on an island. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Okay. Okay. So this is the prince threatening... Death for anyone who keeps fighting. Yeah. Is that what happened here? Basically, I think. I assume. Not sure. All the seals gasps. The prince farts and leaves. (laughs) Okay. He farts? He farts and leaves. Why does he fart? I hate this movie, Mackenzie. (laughs) I haven't seen this movie, but I hate this movie. I watched it. All the seals hide. I watched it as though that is an achievement, which kind of it is, honestly. The fact that you got through this, even if you had to watch it 15 minutes at a time, is astonishing. (laughs) We smash back to Romeo and Benvolio and Mercutio, because Benvolio's here now. Benvolio and Mercutio are like in the original. So we're following canon, guys. They're trying to cheer Romeo up. And Mercutio says, and I'm just going to read quote for quote. Okay. Now word has come to me that the Capulets are having a party tonight. What doth thou say we crash it? Romeo finally speaks and he goes, Oh, I wish I had a love. Because Rosalind's not here. Don't worry about her. And Mercutio replies, But faint hearts never won fair sea lionesses. Mmm. They're not sea lions. They're seals. Also, what sayest thus thou cr- us crash it? What the fuck? <laughs> yeah, can you read that line back to me again? Yeah, I can read it as many times as you want me to. <laughs> My friend, now word has come to me that the Capulets are having a party tonight. What doth thou say we crash it? What doth thou say we crash it? Yes. Now, I'm no expert in Elizabeth in English. <laughs> that sounds wrong, though. I'm pretty sure that's bullshit. <laughs> Romeo says a sad line about how, oh, but love. And Mercutio replies with, surf's up, dude. It th- I'm these characters aren't actually talking to each other. <laughs> no. They're simply saying lines in the same place. I wrote that down later. It's like they're having a conversation that they think <laughs> that the other side is having. But they're not. You know how that last Star Wars movie, The Rise of Skywalker, was made after Carrie Fisher had passed away, but they still had some footage with her. <laughs> and it still had some of her lines. So they just had this, like, horrific simulacrum of Carrie Fisher like walking around in the first scene saying just these random lines and they kind of wrote the script to try and make those make sense so it could be like she was part of the conversation. (laughs) This feels like that, but there's not even the excuse of someone being dead. It's just random Shakespeare. (laughs) Benvolio and Mercutio try to cheer Romeo up by singing a 60s doo-wop song. Oh god. Wait, like, is this a musical? 
Yes, it's a musical. <gasps> no, I did not get far enough to realize it was a musical. Oh, no. Boom, boom, boom. Wow, wow. Romeo interrupts their song by going, come on, guys, I'm a nobody and nobody will love me. What? Okay, so he's not like seal nobility. No, he starts then rhyming for a while. Like spoken, like spoken word? Like spoken verse? I need someone to love to call my own, someone who wants to share my home. Oh, God. Ah. I need a girl who will be true, someone to swim with, you know, in the ocean blue. Mm. Some of these slant rhymes would make Emily Dickinson vomit. (laughs) A girl who can love me for who I am. I need a girl who will understand. And as he does this, he starts bathing using a living sponge with a face on his butt. Oh, God. A living sponge? Like- It has eyes. Like Spongebob? Uh, Wait a minute. Like a a Spongebob? It has eyes. Squidward, Mm. help me! He's rubbing it on his sealed butt. Oh, no! All of my will to live has left me by now. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I can really see why even you were like 15 minute chunks only. (laughs) We then- Flash to a crashed pirate ship. There's seals dancing. It's the Capulet party. Okay. Juliet looks like a baby compared to all the other seals. It's appropriate. Well, she is like 13, which I I guess is pretty old in seal years. She looks like she's maybe two. Okay, that's maybe two, baby. Mercutio and Benvolio have off screen, I guess, convinced Romeo to come. And Romeo's like, how are we going to get in? We don't look anything like the Capulets. We're brown. They're white seals. And Mercutio comes up with the idea to roll in sand. And that turns them white. Are they underwater? No, they're above water now. Okay. So now they're white. So a seal covered in sand. Yeah. Looks exactly like a white seal. Yeah. Gotcha. Elephant seal Prince Tabalt Paris shows up. <laughs> Upon being introduced to baby Juliet... It's like, fuck, she's hot. Oh, God. <laughs> he uses his tongue to lick his toupee because the elephant seal has a toupee in this scene. He has a toupee? Not most of the time, just in this scene. Don't worry about it. But the, none of the seals have, like, people hair. <laughs> no, but he does in this scene. <laughs> and he then picks up Juliet and tangos with her and tells her how hot she is. This little baby seal. <laughs> It's then that the Montague arrive at the party. Romeo goes to save Juliet from the prince because he's going to be like, oh, she's a fucking banger. The prince, before this happens, because Romeo's in the background staring at this with his doe-eyed blank stare. The prince is like, I have a question to ask your daddy. Oh, no. Don't say daddy. And Juliet replies with, what are you going to ask my daddy? Don't say that. That's how they say it. Oh. The prince, Tybalt Paris, says, I'm going to make you the luckiest girl in town. What power does exactly does this seal hold over other seals? <laughs> I don't know. Also, what town? He's the biggest, I guess. He goes to talk to Daddy Capulet about marrying Juliet, I guess. Seal marriage. Seal marriage. Before God? Mercutio grabs a microphone because there's a crab band playing. Wait, there's a microphone? There's a microphone there. The crab band are using to play their songs. (laughs) The world building here is (laughs) troubling. Mercutio grabs the microphone and he starts singing the world's worst song. Is it another like eidetic musical song? Yeah. (laughs) The opening line is love is in the air. Oh, God. Mm. When sea lion meets a sea lioness. They're not, they're sea, not lions, sea lions, they're seals. They're seals. Those are different animals. 
Romeo and Juliet start floating. Elephant seals and and seals and sea lions are different. (laughs) They start floating and dancing. And as they're dancing and staring at each other doe-eyed. These are like leopard seals. With they're exactly the same faces, but one of them has eyelashes. Oh, right, because they're both white here. Yeah. Yeah. They look exactly the same, but one has eyelashes. The prince shows back up and he goes, that's my girl. Which one? The one with eyelashes (laughs) or the one without eyelashes? How can you tell? (laughs) And he charges them. What follows is another Scooby-Doo sequence where the prince is chasing Romeo around and Romeo keeps running up to Juliet and he keeps being like, well, we keep running into each other and then smooching her and then running away. Oh my god. Just so I'm visualizing this masterpiece correctly, I do have a question. Yes. So this is still on land? This is still on the crashed pirate ship, yes. Is the chase happening while seals just kind of like, they locomote on land, just kind of a wobble, 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 tugging themselves along with their flippers and rocking? Yeah, but we don't concern ourselves with gravity or friction here. So they're just going really, really fast? It's a flash animation, so they're kind of just doing the same motion over and over again. Right. Okay. (laughs) Everything you knew from New Grounds is here. But they haven't started using their flippers as like people feet to like- Kind of, yeah. Yeah. Oh, they are? Oh. Mm. Kind of. Hmm. Okay. There's no easy way to describe this. I recommend watching (laughs) the film really to see this masterpiece. And you know, I don't think I need to do that. (laughs) I think I'll be happy with your explanation. I think I'm- I think I'm fine with that. Yeah. (laughs) So basically it's Romeo running from- the Preds and occasionally running up to Juliet. And she's like, golly, we keep meeting each other. And he's like, we do. And then they'll smooch and then separate as he runs again. These are the jokes. These are the jokes. All the seals flee. Eventually, the elephant seal eats Romeo. Mercutio randomly swings in and smacks into the elephant seal, like a prince to bolt Paris. Romeo goes flying into the ocean, which washes the sand off. And he pops back up, revealing that he is a brown seal. And everybody up on the ship gasps, <gasps> Montague. And then Mercutio and Benvolio leap into the water after him and they all flee. And that's the end of fact one. You know, a lot of white seals are actually just pups and they gain color as they get older, as I recall. Nope, they're the Capulets. Right. <laughs> okay, so that's act one. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking Christ. That's where I paused the first time. You know, I think that's legit. That was only 15 minutes you described? The movie's only 70 minutes long. Oh my god. That's an eternity. Yeah. It feels interminable. (laughs) Okay, so that's act one. Act two is one of the things that contains some of the material that is the most off-repeated of Romeo and Juliet. This is where we have the balcony scene. Um, Act two. Ignoring the danger, Romeo scales the Capulet's wall to be near Juliet, the woman he cannot forget, the 13-year-old he cannot forget. Unnoticed in Juliet's orchard, Romeo learns of Juliet's love for him. After declaring their feelings for each other, the two decide to marry. Juliet will send Romeo a messenger in the morning to make plans for their wedding. The very next day, we meet Romeo's friend, Friar Lawrence. He wonders how Romeo can forget Rosalind so quickly, but agrees to marry the two since he hopes this marriage will end the long-running Montague Capulet feud. Meanwhile, Romeo catches up with his friends Mercutio and Benvolio. Juliet's messenger, the nurse, arrives and the wedding is set for later that day. The nurse brings Romeo ropes, which will allow him to climb into Juliet's bedchamber as her husband later that night, wink wonk. (laughs) Act two ends with Romeo and Juliet's marriage. 
Yeah, Romeo plus Juliet is pretty much that, just beat for beat. The balcony scene is actually just them dicking around in a pool, mostly. The interesting part is that the priest is played by Pete Postlethwaite, who has like a gigantic crucifix tattoo on his back, which kicks ass. (laughs) (laughs) How do they play the nurse character in this setting? That's Miriam Margulies with a... Spanish accent of dubious quality. Right. But is she like her? I mean, the nurse is kind of, you know, Juliet's like nursemaid. Is she just sort of like Juliet's older friend? Juliet's like nanny? She's basically Juliet's nanny. These are rich people. They don't raise their own children. Right. This is the woman who raised Juliet. Okay. I will point out that in the original historical context, this is, again, those noble rules operate differently. And so we mentioned before that nobility is a magical property granted by God and passed down largely through blood descendancy. The way that noble houses ally with each other is through marriage, because A, marrying someone makes their family and your family all one family unit. And one of the nobility rules is you don't kill your own family, which isn't to say it didn't happen. Just if you do it, you got to make sure nobody finds out. Any children of the couple from those two families is a member of both families and possibly an heir of both families. So it functions as basically a corporate merger would be the most modern equivalent. So it will literally end the Montague-Capulet feud, not because Montague and Capulet will look at this and go, oh, love is love, but because they literally, by the laws of God and their own ancient laws of chivalry, cannot kill each other anymore because they're family. (laughs) But also Friar Lawrence is kind of an idiot. He's also kind of an idiot, but this does not quite translate into a modern day context. And Friar Lawrence is like imagining like the headlines of if these two marry each other, which is kind of a very goofy moment. But it's something that doesn't quite translate into modern context. So the modern adaptation is implying that Montague and Capula will look at their kids in love and be like, oh, love is love and just end the feud that way. Back in Lawn Gnome Land. (laughs) Oh, God. (laughs) Juliet gets back to her room after telling Tybalt, the red lawn gnome, that no, she hasn't seen anyone named Gnomeo. It's totally fine. Don't worry about it. She gets back to the frog Nanette and they have a conversation and she's like, oh, so where's that like? really important orchid you were going after. And she's like, oh, what orchid? And the frog's like, oh, you met a boy. <laughs> and the frog's like, so like, what's he like? How rotund is his belly? Because they're all lawn gnomes. And how is his, you know, and makes a little steeple over her head. So we assume they're talking about his hat, which I guess is like his dick. Huh. Big hat energy. Yeah. And she's like, well, it's very nice, but it's also blue. And the frog is like, (laughs) oh, wait, you're serious. Oh, wait, this is great. This is perfect. Your love is doomed. That's the best kind. Nanette is basically just like a fanfic shipper. (laughs) Oh, God. Who's very into the tragic ship. Mood. And then we have Nomeo sneaking back into the Red Garden, which is weird because he literally snuck in there earlier that day and now he's sneaking back and through the exact same way. And it doesn't really have the same kind of like separation of Romeo sneaking up to Juliet's balcony versus Romeo sneaking into the party that the actual source material has. But, you know, we do what we can. Nomeo sees Juliet up in this little tower feature, which is like it basically looks like a like a castle piece from chess. Probably comes up to maybe about my hip. And Juliet has a fake red flower that she usually has when she is pretending to be an inanimate object. 
And we do this paraphrase of the Wherefore Art Thou Romeo bit, which, by the way, just to be clear, just so we're all on the same page and we state this very clearly, Romeo, Wherefore Art Thou Romeo is saying, why are you called Romeo? Why are you a Montague? Why are you like that? Not, where are you, buddy? Where you at? (laughs) Where you at? Ugh. But to their credit, they actually don't make that mistake in this one. Yay. <laughs> Juliet is like, oh, Nomeo, Nomeo, are we really doomed, Nomeo, to never see each other again? Why must you wear a blue hat? Why couldn't it be red like my father or green like a leprechaun or purple like like some weird guy? <laughs> what? Because you're... Yeah, I don't... Is that the line? Yes. <laughs> oh my god. Because you're blue, my father sees red. And because I'm red, I'm feeling blue. At any rate, that shouldn't be the thing to keep us apart, should it? Which is an interesting way to, like, paraphrase the deny they name and I'll no longer be a Capulet thing. I mean, I still hate it, but... <laughs> don't worry. There are worse ways. <laughs> And Nomeo bobs out like, yes, that's a great idea. We should definitely hang out more. And she's like, holy crap. And then he startles, hits a switch on an an electrical cord on the floor. And that switch starts up a water light feature around the tower, which is right next to a little pond. Oh, my God. And it starts playing the Tiki Room theme from Disneyland and Disney World. Why? Like, Like, it's the whole thing with, like... It's like, and it even starts in on like the, like rather than refrain, like the verse, like "Welcome to my island, hide away." And it's like nothing else around here is tropical themed. What's happening? None of none of these. None of I don't understand why. Like, yeah, Disney like bankrolled some of this, but like, why would you out of anything? Why would you say what about the Tiki Room theme? And so like this raises sort of a bit of an alarm. Lord Redbrick shows up to be like, hey, I told you no tiki room music past 10 o'clock or something. And meanwhile, Nanette, the frog, helps Nomeo leave by being like, good night, sweet prince, or flights of angels, or pigeons, or sparrows, or whatever, parting is such sweet sorrow. Oh my god. Yeah, and then Nomeo and Juliet also find a hole in the fence to meet between and they go in for a kiss, but their bulbous heads bonk against the fence, so they can't. Why does this movie keep trying to be funny? <laughs> I don't know. It's it. I don't know. And he's like, hey, can I see you tomorrow in that abandoned greenhouse? Parting is such sweet sorrow, he says again, after just hearing it. And she kisses her hand, places it on his mouth, and pushes him out of the fence. And the next day, Ms. Montague and Mr. Capulet go out to their yards where there were, like, heist crimes happening. And they're both horrified first that like Ms. Montague's lawnmower is completely screwed over and like a big piece of trash. And Mr. Caplet, it is like, hey, my wishing well is spray painted blue. What's wrong with you? What? So I guess they just kind of assume that they are each octogenarians going out and doing crimes to each other's yard in the middle of the night. Okay. That's pretty much all we see of them for a little while until Benny... The Benvolio Mercutio character sees Ms. Capulet through a window shopping for a new lawnmower, and then a hardcore ad pops up for a very, very, very hardcore lawnmower. The commercial is voiced by Hulk Hogan. What? Why? What? And it's like an intense lawnmower with fire, with like flames on the side. It has all of the intensity of a power thirst video. 
time for a secret weapon. It's the most ruthless 500 horsepower grass-dominating piece of hardware the world has ever seen. Power running power, lifting power, sleeping power, dating power, eating power, laughing power, spawning babies. You'll have so many babies. 400 babies. There's a thing where it's like, your lawn will be afraid to grow. What? Okay, you got me there. That was, that was worth a sensible chuckle, I guess. Then Romeo and Juliet have a really long cleaning montage as they prep for their date. It's very strange. And they're just like, yeah, no, let's go. Let's go hang out. Let's get together. And that's... Okay, so instead of let's get married, it's let's go on a date. Right. They don't say let's get Lawn no married yet. Doesn't quite convey the same level of stupid teenagers experiencing the biggest emotions of their lives, does it? Right. Which is weird because for me, I feel like the biggest thing of Romeo and Juliet, the narrative thrust of it is stupid teens making incredibly intense choices for no good reason and not having any kind of filter or any kind of like person in their life to like maybe talk them through some of these things. I would say it's a good reason to them. Because right. they're teens and they're they're so out of their minds horny for each other that they're going to make the worst decisions of their lives. Right. And I'm saying when I say no good reason, I mean, no actually good reason, just reasons that seem really good to you when you're 15 and 13. Romeo's like 15, I think. Pretty sure. Somewhere around there. Romeo and Juliet are getting ready for their date. There's a really long, like cleaning montage like they're trying on outfits and stuff except it's like things where it's like hey so they're inanimate objects so they do things like soap different and it does different things with their paint and do you get it they're smaller than usual oh my god they do things with garden implements that you would usually do as a people but these are things that people have but gnomes are smaller and inanimate but the important thing is that on her way out, Juliet is introduced by Lord Redbrick to a nerdy gnome named Paris, who I guess he's supposed to be like, hey, you should hook up with him. He knows about flowers and he makes her a garden sculpture. And Nanette is like, oh, my God, it's a love triangle. This is going to be awesome. <laughs> <laughs> but then she also starts flirting with Paris. <laughs> the frog does? The frog. The frog starts flirting with Paris. The frog is just kind of horny. <laughs> so Nomi and Juliet... Meet up in the abandoned greenhouse, they wander around this overgrown yard, and then they make their way to a shed that they're able to jimmy the lock open, and they meet a pink lawn flamingo and a rusty old lawnmower. But the pink lawn flamingo is alive. His name is Featherstone. He's been locked in a shed for 20 years while being, you know, alive. As one is, I guess. Oh, okay. So he is he is fully deranged. Yes, he is fully deranged. He's also voiced by Jim Cummings doing one of his like big, weird, wild European guy accents. Oh, God. Yeah. So he's our Friar Lawrence because he's like, hey, welcome to my garden that I don't live in anymore. You guys are cute together. You should kiss. Oh, my God. Juliet at some point takes this old rusty lawnmower out on a joyride to mow the lawn a little uh, which isn't a skill that's going to come back at any point. So why is it there? Don't know. Just to remind <laughs> you that they race lawnmowers, I guess. Featherstone is like, hey, so thanks for mowing the lawn a little in the shape of a heart with R plus J in the middle. Or G plus J, because Nomeo starts with a G. Uh, but also, maybe you could do something about all these dandelion weeds. And she's like, 
those aren't weeds. They're wishes. Oh, God. And he's like, well, a weed by any other name is still a weed. This doesn't come back. (laughs) The dandelions aren't important. So much of this movie is just killing time from the sounds of it. (laughs) Yeah. They kind of lie in the grass. They talk about like, oh, I never thought I would fall for a person of the opposite primary color from what my (laughs) primary color is. And Featherstone's like, hey, this is great. You guys should like make out or something. Don't worry. I'll just be here. (laughs) It's cool. Anyway, so that occupies their afternoon, and that's... Oh my god. And that's the end of Act 2 for me. That sets up (laughs) things for Act 2. Are we ready for Act 2, sealed with a kiss? Oh no. Yes. We start with Mercutio and Benvolio looking for Romeo. Mercutio shouts, where are you, lover boy? And Romeo sighs in the distance and goes, oh, he knows nothing of love. Who? And Mercutio goes, kid goes and gives us a slip like a wet oyster. What? I don't know why I just gave him a New York accent, but honestly, they should have. Did he have one? No, but he should have had one. Okay, because I wouldn't put it past (laughs) and suddenly get an accent. We then flash to that tree on top of the rock. What is with the f***ing tree? (laughs) Yeah, what is with the tree? It's meaningful, I guess. I don't know what it means, but it's there. Juliet's posing on the sad tree rock. Sad dramatic music is going on. Is it like Ariel perching on the rock? Yeah, it's kind of like Ariel if she's a badly animated seal. Okay. Romeo's down below staring goggly-eyed. And he goes, it is my lady. It is my love. And from up top, they get it wrong. Because Juliet goes, Romeo, where are you, my Romeo? Like she just says, where are you? Yeah. <sighs> from down below, he goes, I'm right here. But then he hides. Why? I don't know. He just said where he was. <laughs> Why is she looking for him? Juliet then goes into um a speech. Okay. Uh, or soliloquy, if you will. A monologue. Must we? We must. Excellent. Because I had to endure this, so you two must as well. <laughs> All right, let's hear it. A fish by any other color would still be- smell as sweet. Hmm. Oh, Mm. Romeo, if only you could change your color, then you could take me and I would be yours forever. Okay. Is that it? That's the end of it? (laughs) Then she starts singing. Oh, no, of course there's another song here. Her voice is very high pitched and she warbles. Oh, God. I love you for whom you are. You whom star my lucky star. Oh, oh, okay, 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 now you- Hold on, I'm gonna copy-paste this. Yeah, you wrote this down for me. I did, I sent it to you after I heard it. (sighs) I love you for whom whom you you are. are, You whomst are my lucky star. The theme is Twinkle Twinkle Little Star. Okay, it it sounded like you said you who star my lucky star, which, that's word salad. I'm not sure- Those are even the proper words to use. The melody is Twinkle Twinkle Little Star. Oh, no. no. Really? No. I love you for... Yeah. Romeo stands out, steps out, and gazes up at her so she finally sees him. You are who? They start floating in the sky. It's two flash animated seals. I love you for who you are. The background is a literal NASA picture of the universe. You are who I am. I guess he's receiving the action. I love you for whom you are. You Hmm. star my lucky star. They sing for too long. 
It's only like a minute, but it feels like hours. And they are floating. And they are floating over a NASA space picture. Couldn't they just be in water? No, they're they're in a NASA space picture. <laughs> Why would they make them seals if you're not going to use the... Uh... The song ends as Juliet's father shouts for her. And Romeo instantly goes, hey, want to marry? What? Like that? That's his proposal? Yeah. Juliet says yes a thousand times yes. They make out. What? For like solid f***ing five minutes. Oh, I don't like... I know it's even called sealed with a kiss, but somehow <laughs> I really don't like the visual image of these two seals, like, swapping tongues. Romeo pulls away and goes, Friar Lawrence is tomorrow, and then leaves. So there's a friar. Yep. There's a seal friar. <laughs> we'll get there. You know, for some reason, the prospect of a seal friar is the most terrifying <laughs> thing so far. <laughs> so they have a god. <laughs> As so Romeo there's a seal leaves. god with seal Catholicism. Julia so there's goes, a seal pope. There's, is there a seal pope? Is there a seal pope? <laughs> As Romeo leaves, Juliet gets is the line. Is the convent with the, with the seal god sealed with a kiss as well? <laughs> it will seem like a thousand years until tomorrow. <laughs> Parting. It is such sweet sorrow. It's at this point, earlier, whenever Romeo was rambling about Juliet, he idly kissed a few things and it's just kind of background fodder. You don't really think about it. But he's so excited about getting married to Juliet, he kisses things again. And one of these things that returns is a little orange fish who gurgles like a baby every time he kisses it. Oh, God. It makes me very uncomfortable. Mm. And I bring this up because that fish is going to come back later. No. Yeah. We suddenly flash again to Mercutio and Benvolio for some reason. They aren't doing anything. Mercutio is just saying some punts. Like, why did the fish swim into the sandbag? Why? So he could get some sand dollars. That's not even... What? (laughs) That's the closest they could get to a pun. Now imagine 500 sea puns. That's what's happening over in Minvolia and Mercutio land right now. Nothing else is happening (laughs) there. Oh, God. That's just their everyday? That's just their everyday? Nothing else is happening. No. It's really a miracle that Benvolio has not murdered Mercutio by now. (laughs) We then flash to a horrifying washed-out blue mountain... And then the animated seal of Romeo goes into it. As we go into it, there's a flash of fire, and we hear double, double toil and trouble. What? So the friar's a witch? Eye of Newt and leg of deep fried chicken. What? What? There's an otter throwing chicken into a lava. Where did he get the fried chicken? Unknown. Why is he throwing it in the lava? Why is the friar a witch? The friar is a witch and an otter. Why? Important question. What's the name of the guy who made this? Phil Nibblink. Does Bill Nibblink know what a friar is? I don't think so. He might not know what a friar is. He might have thought it was just like part of the name. Or he fries something. Oh! No! No, I hate it! Oh! Oh, God, I hate it. Holy shit! (laughs) I hate it so much. Holy shit! Romeo... Instantly starts pleading with Friar Lawrence. There is no seal god. <laughs> There's no seal pope. <laughs> There's just fried chicken. He starts pleading with him. Hey, I need you to marry me and Juliet. She's a Capulet. So, okay, okay. So the the witch friar still has the power to marry people. Yeah, he does. He That was granted to him. Did he get a certificate online or... <laughs> Otter Friar Lawrence raises some valid points. Romeo replies with to every single one with, but I love her. 
And Otter Friar Lawrence eventually gives up because it's like talking to a fucking brick wall here. And it's like, okay, what follows is an in the dark of the night song. Like from Anastasia. Like from Anastasia. In the dark of the night, they'll be hiding. As Friar Lawrence starts throwing random shit into his lava cauldron. So when you say it's an in the dark of the night song, do you mean it's a strange interruption from the preceding thematic and visual elements with rock bugs? Uh, what I mean is it starts with da 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 and there's like dramatic kind of scary bug flailing. And there's a dramatic cauldron. Yes. Okay. And the friar is throwing random things in there while singing about Capulets and Montagues. <gasps> and as he does- Oh my god, he's an Ursula the Sea Witch friar. <laughs> yes. And a vision rises out of the cauldron. What? The vision is a bunch of white and brown seals dancing together. What? He can see the future. What's happening? And he's like, okay, this marriage should be great. What? I'm glad you said that, because my next note after that is just this. Just the word what in all capital letters. Yep. Juliet shows up at this point. Okay. They run at each other extremely awkwardly, and then they make out on screen for an interminable amount of time. I don't like that. We keep cutting to Friar Lawrence, who's leaning against his cave wall. And eventually he interrupts with, look, I can see you're in a hurry. I'll make this quick. We then get a slow motion kiss. Dramatic royalty-free organ music playing and we zoom out and that's them getting married and that's the end of act two okay yeah. so act three act three is when things go wrong <laughs> act three is when we have been f***ing around for two acts this is when we start finding out <laughs> yeah act three is really fun because like the structure up to this point has very much been italian romantic comedy and then, and this is where bodies start dropping. This is like if you were watching a Hallmark Christmas movie and somebody gets iced two thirds of the way through. Yeah, we're about to do a hard pivot, y'all. <laughs> Remember how we did all that fighting at the beginning of the play? Yes. In Act Three, Benvolio and Mercutio, both Montagues, meet Tybalt, reminder, the Capulet. Tybalt attempts to provoke Romeo into fighting. Mercutio fights Tybalt instead and is killed. This is the linchpin moment for the whole thing. <laughs> Romeo. And you know that gay funny guy? Yeah, he's fucking murdered. Yeah, and with his last breath, he curses you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, a plague or both your houses, etc. In retribution, Romeo then kills Tybalt. And Aeschylus, the Prince of Verona, is like, what did I tell you guys? <laughs> <laughs> What did I just say? Stop it. Oh, what did I say? Did you hear what I said? I heard what I said because I was standing there when I said it. I told you. I told you to secure a witness, not to shoot up a neighborhood, not to do another dead body. Also, my cousin's dead now. <laughs> also, my cousin's dead. What the hell, guys? I left for five minutes. Look at this whole situation is getting out of control. You're goddamn right it's getting out of control. And then he banishes Romeo from Verona on threat of death should he ever return. Juliet, meanwhile, learns of Romeo killing Tybalt, who is like her cousin, that he is family. And despite being torn between her loyalty for her family and Romeo, she mourns her husband Romeo's banishment. Because, you know, they did get married last night. 
Romeo learns of the banishment order, realizes he will not be able to see Juliet again, goes to Friar Lawrence, who suggests Romeo go to Juliet's bedchamber to comfort his wife. Capulet, who does not know of Romeo and Juliet's marriage, decides that the marriage of Juliet to Paris must now proceed, bidding his wife to make Juliet aware of Paris's love for her. The day of marriage has been decided. It will be Thursday. (laughs) (laughs) For some reason, it's always inordinately funny to me that it's just said, oh, next Thursday. (laughs) That's the thing. It's not even like next Thursday. It's like, oh, this Thursday. Later this week, you will get married. Oh, don't worry about it. We'll pull this whole thing off in time. We learn that Romeo has spent the night with Juliet. Don't worry, the children did in fact fuck. <laughs> Juliet, who is now already secretly married to Romeo, learns that she's supposed to marry Paris. She tries to fight her father's wishes, failing to dissuade him. Juliet decides, well, if all else fails, she'll just kill herself. And this isn't necessarily teen being like, oh my god, this sucks. I'm just gonna go kill myself. No, she's like, well, guess I'll just stab myself if I have to. Gotta do what I gotta do, I guess. It's a very sober decision on her part. Yeah. And that is act three. When we end this state, Juliet is pretty much committed to, you know, a bit like Buttercup in Princess Bride, of course. She's like, well, I'm just gonna stab myself with this knife. There is a shortage of perfect breasts, but here we go. Guess I'll (laughs) die. And Romeo is skipping town after sleeping with his wife. People are dead. The situation looks kind of bad insofar as tensions are going between the Capulets and the Montagues. (laughs) Yeah, things are starting to go wrong. Mm -hmm. So Romeo plus Juliet again is basically beat for beat this with a few notable adaptation notes. Number one, I forgot to mention before, but the prince in this case is Captain Prince, the chief of police for Los Angeles, Verona. He's just a cop. He's a cop, which is kind of fun in terms of how it brings out that old law versus new law element, but also is just like, it's a bit weird. That said, it does give him the authority to fucking exile people. And also when Mercutio is killed and he screams a plague on both your houses, there's a crack of thunder and the sky darkens, which means that there has been a literal curse laid upon both the Montague and Capulet families in this otherwise completely non-supernatural movie. You know, I do appreciate that at least, like, it sets aside taking itself very seriously to at least engage in a bit of the extreme melodrama that is present throughout the play. If there's one thing that Boz Lerman can do, it's melodrama. Also, during the scene where Tybalt shows up and wants to fight, Benvolio says, by my head, here comes Tybalt. And Mercutio says, by my heel, I care not. Then he puts his actual heel up on the table and he's wearing heelys. <laughs> hmm. So, Yeah. That's a thing to consider. And then a couple more things about the whole, like, historical context type stuff. First off, the reason that Romeo really does not want to fight Tybalt ties back to that whole marriage equals kinship thing. Tybalt is now a member of his family. He cannot kill a member of his family, therefore he really does not want to duel Tybalt. Also, it would probably make his wife sad if her cousin died. Not only that, but like kinslaying is, according to that ancient law, kinslaying is like, you know, that's some old antiquity Ortisteia type stuff. You you pull supernatural wrath down upon yourself through kinslaying. So it's a big f***ing deal that he does eventually kill Tybalt. And also the fact that Capulet immediately decides that Juliet has to marry Paris, that also has to do a lot with Paris is a higher ranking noble. 
If Paris is part of his family, legally and in the eyes of God, Paris is obligated to protect Capulet if Montague decides to retaliate for the killing of Tybalt. That's why it's, it's so important to him that Juliet marry Paris. And that's why he gets so angry when she says she does not want to. That's it for the adaptation notes, except for the fact that there's more dumb gun dueling while calling them swords because it says sword and engraved on the side of the gun. It's a lot of that. Yeah, so to prolong those sorts of things, do they just, like, shoot at each other and then miss a lot? Or is there a lot of, like, fist fighting until the... The way it plays out is basically Tybalt is like, hey, Romeo, draw your gun. Romeo refuses to draw his gun. Tybalt starts pistol whipping Romeo. Mercutio <laughs> gets involved. I think gets stabbed. You see, a, a, a like, a little like look at the injury that he has which appears to have been like a shot quite low on his gut which would kill him quite slowly but it does appear to be like a slashing wound mm -hmm. and then Tybalt flees in his car Romeo f chases after him in his car they get into a car crash Tybalt has to crawl out of his car he and Romeo scream at each other for a while and then Romeo shoots Tybalt that's how that plays out in this version huh well there you go it's very melodramatic because it's a Baz Luhrmann movie mm -hmm. anyway he leaves <laughs> meanwhile How's Nomeo and Juliet? So in Nomeo and Juliet, remember the toilet from earlier? No. Well, there's a wisteria <laughs> growing out of it, out of the back, that at one point, Lady Blueberry tells Nomeo, like, ah, as you know, your father planted that wisteria, which raises all sorts of questions about, so the gnomes make additions and changes to the garden without the gardeners who own it realizing that there is a, another hand at work in their garden, I guess. What? Which raises all... I, 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 I get... I can't. I can't. I can't. So there's a wisteria growing out of the back of this toilet feature in the middle of the garden. And the toilet is never really remarked upon as being, hey, it's weird that there's a toilet in the backyard, right? Which leads me to wonder if maybe this is just some kind of like... UK backyard garden thing that I'm just unaware of. <laughs> so Important question, what accent do all these characters have? I mean, they're just various flavors of British. Interesting. I mean, it's even like the cars all have like British plates. It is it is very firmly set in, in England somewhere, but I couldn't tell you what region. But there's a toilet and what happens is that Tybalt is like, haha. We're going to plan revenge for them spray painting the little wishing well that I stand in front of. And also, like, the gnomes also clean off the spray paint off of the wishing well after Mr. Capulet, the human being, has seen it. So I don't know exactly how he thinks that changed. <laughs> because none of the lawn gnomes, as he knows it, are alive. And I can't do this. So anyway... Tybalt is like, haha, we're going to really just get back of them. This is going to be great. We're going to plan revenge for this spray painting by chopping down the wisteria. And Nomeo comes back to discover that the wisteria has been mangled, that there are flowers everywhere. And Lady Blueberry is devastated because I guess this is the only thing that she has left to remind her of her husband. Her dead gnome husband. Her dead gnome husband. Not sure what happened to him or how. <laughs> But gnomes can die. Keep that in your pocket. Got it. So they're like, all right, so we're going to make every single one of them suffer. Han Nomeo and Han Nomeo like a whole thing of like weed killer, I guess, that they're going to use on the other garden. And he's like, every last one of them? All of them? <laughs> every single one of them. Because uh, uh, yeah, yeah, definitely all every single one of them. This will be fine. Don't worry about it. 
Meanwhile, we cut back to the Red Garden where Paris is serenading Juliet. He doesn't sing a song very well. It's eidetic. It's not necessarily a musical, but he is singing an Elton John song. And there will be a couple more Elton John songs in here to the point where, like, the score will flirt with Rocket Man a few times. Uh, more noticeably. Oh my god. Oh god. For reasons I can't quite fathom, but like he is singing an Elton John song badly at Juliet up in her tower and Nanette the Frog is horny for it and she imagines that it's much better and also imagines Paris as Elton John with the big glasses and the big feathers around his shoulders and also imagines herself covered in rose petals with rose petals as though they're covering her non-existent titties. Oh no! Like the the like the American Beauty shot. Like the American Beauty shot. Why? Why? I don't know. But, but the frog's horny, and you know, heterosexual sex symbol Elton John. <laughs> <laughs> I don't get it, but that happens. Nomeo sneaks into the garden. Juliet just like sees this whole thing with the Elton John fantasy happening, and she's like, "Yeah, I'm out." <laughs> My boyfriend's over there. I'm going to go say hi because he just popped up from like underneath a stepping stone. You know what? That's legit. Shaped like a hippo in the garden. And then she's like, oh, I'm going to go see him. She then sees Nomeo pointing some weed killer at a whole bunch of tulips in the yard. And she's like, oh, I'm so disappointed in you. You were going to kill the flowers. And he's like, oh, no, I can't do it. It was jammed. (laughs) I can't. She's disappointed in me. I can't go through with it and destroy these tulips. So Nomeo leaves. And then Tybalt's like, I'm going to kill a gnome, actually. What? (laughs) (laughs) What? (laughs) Then we cut back to the Featherstone Garden, where Nomeo and Juliet are arguing about the whole thing. Featherstone is like trying to like keep the peace between them but then they yell at him he feels bad about it and then they go back to the shed where they discover a conspiracy board in the shed with a whole bunch of photos of the couple who used to live in the abandoned house and like you know in toy story 2 when jesse has a really sad flashback about being loved by a little girl and then abandoned yeah imagine that but it's about a married couple who owned a house got divorced went to go see as you like it once on a ticket stub And they had two flamingos. Oh my gosh. But then they got divorced and one of them took one of the flamingos. What? And when she moved away, she used Rosencrantz and Guildenstern movers. (laughs) Why? I don't know. (laughs) Why is that the reference they're dropping? I don't know. Why Rosencrantz and Guildenstern? The lawn flamingo... Featherstone was abandoned in a shed. Nobody ever bought the house, I guess, that both of the divorced couple move out of. And you then have Jim Cummings in his, like, wacky European guy accent. Other people's hate destroyed my love. (laughs) (laughs) So I guess there's a sad backstory for the flamingo. Why did the flamingo need a sad backstory? I don't know. Like, it doesn't seem like it really does anything to reinforce the idea of, like you know, don't fight, you should kiss instead, that the the, the movie doesn't do by itself. I'm not sure what it adds to the piece. But Nomeo is like, oh, can we stay together and build our own garden together in the abandoned yard? And to seal the deal, they bury that poor orchid clipping that is still like 
it's very clearly dying. But it's just like, it's just the bud. There's not, you can't really regrow it from that. But they're like, let's bury it and this will definitely be fine. Meanwhile, Benvolio, sorry, Benny, sees this through the greenhouse and interrupts them kissing and is like, holy crap, what are you doing? Nomeo runs after him in the alley. Tybalt shows up on a lawnmower with a spade. And rides down at Benny flicks the spade and doesn't kill Benny, but he does slice off his hat. Oh, no. Which, as we established, is his dick, I guess. Oh, no. (laughs) And what's weird is that it cuts off the whole hat and they take care not to really show you too much of what that looks like from the top. But as far as I can tell from later shots in the movie, this is a solid granite gnome. Because there's not a hole in there. He's not hollow. So that's a hell of a spade. That spade has been sharpened. Yeah. But Benny slash Mercutio is alive. His hat is just gone. And Romeo's like, oh, how dare you? A hat for a hat. Okay. Oh, no. And they fight on top of the lawnmower as it speeds down the alley. It comes up towards a brick wall on the other end that I guess is opposite of where the street is. Romeo tucks and rolls. The lawnmower hits a bump and stops, but it launches Tybalt, who goes flying off and smashes into the wall. Oh, God. Oh, <laughs> they no. They actually killed Tybalt in this? In pieces. Oh, my God. Oh, no. Tybalt dies. Oh, my God. <laughs> in, this, in this harmless children's movie where they're like, we're going to kill a wisteria. They're like, no, Tybalt is rent asunder. <laughs> Tybalt is smashed into a thousand pieces. There is a small pile of Tybalt, oh which is pretty God. gruesome in context. The red gnomes around him are like, oh, Nomeo definitely just smashed Tybalt. But of course, Nomeo here is absolved of all sin because he jumped off in time. <laughs> But they're like, you smashed Tybalt, a gnome for a gnome. And Nomeo runs and is almost pushed into the street. Oh, no. And the other end of the alley. And a human jogs by. (laughs) And all of the gnomes freeze in little poses. So what this human woman sees as she approaches the mouth of this alley is like 30 different lawn gnomes lined up at the mouth of an alley. And she notably stops and goes, ugh. (laughs) I mean, wouldn't you? Yeah, it's alarming. Then she moves on, but Nomeo, while stuck, totters into the street. And then, okay, so the gnomes can move around cars, because I guess they don't count a car as a people, even though there's people in the cars. If there's a pane of glass, they can't see you. I guess. So he's bumping around busy traffic, trying to not get hit by a car, but then gets into a bit with the right in front of a big truck and there's a crack and a bunch of blue ceramic. So I guess that's it. Hmm. So Nomeo's dead. Excellent. The lawn gnomes did not fuck in act three, but Juliet is very sad now. (laughs) And Tybalt is dead. This got wild. They sure. So act three of sealed with a kiss starts with Mercutio (laughs) doing Capulet punts. Oh God. No, again, still? He's moved on from sea puns to Capulet puns. How long until Mercutio dies? Well, it's Capulet jokes, mostly. 
Rikishio dies in this version, right? This goes on for an, an interminable amount of time. What kind of Capulet jokes? When Benvolio notices there's some Capulet sneaking up on him and he's like, no, you need to stop. And Mercutio's like, I'm just killing myself while he's laughing because foreshadowing, I guess. Does he actually die? Don't worry about it. <laughs> we then get some slow, slow trance music like you'd hear in like an album of listen to this ancient music to help you go to sleep. Like chill lo-fi beats to kill seals too? Sort of, but we're transitioning through a blue void. And then we see the Titanic. What? What? The Titanic. And then we see Romeo holding up Juliet as in the I'm the king of the world Titanic thing. What? Oh, wait, 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 wait. You show me a screenshot of this. They're underwater, right? I sent you nine. Uh, th there's nine different angles of this happening. Let me let me send Kit these screenshots. They're underwater, right? They found they found a shipwreck. They found the Titanic. They found a shipwreck, right? They f okay, underwater, they found the Titanic. Yeah. So they do the King of the World thing on the yeah, deck yeah. of the Titanic. Why, again, why is this the reference they're dropping? Uh, who knows? I don't know. Here you go, Kit. Oh, it's so much worse than I thought it was going to be. <laughs> Wait, no, this isn't underwater. It's underwater. But those are stars, right? No, those are bubbles. Those are bubbles. Huh. So why is he holding her up? They're both neutrally buoyant. No idea. It's to do the King of the World thing. But the boat's not going anywhere. We get this from nine different angles as lo-fi beats to chill to place. Mm-hmm. When abruptly all the lights turn on in the sunken Titanic. What? What? And jazz starts playing. What? Are they having death throw hallucinations? Or, or <laughs> what? <laughs> Juliet and Romeo dash inside and that crab band that was earlier at the Capulet party. No. Is in there playing music. No. Juliet and Romeo dash through what... You know that Titanic movie with the rapping dog? No. I do. Everybody's <laughs> feeling fine because it's party time. Yeah. So Annie knows it. Basically, it looks like the backgrounds are traced from that film. <laughs> Holy shit. As Romeo and Juliet dash through all these locations. We then cut to, as the crab band plays, what in a Fred Astaire movie would be a charming dance number between the two. But it's badly animated seals. And they're neutrally buoyant. And they're neutrally buoyant. So they start dancing. Like, Romeo, they dance. Romeo kisses her. She slaps him. He falls backwards. She moves forward to dance and then kisses him. Wait, slaps him like, like her, a seal fan. just moves against with another seal? Or slaps him like, how dare you kiss me? Yeah, like, how dare you kiss me? What? And then she dances forward and then pulls him into the dance and kisses him. But they already talked about how they love each other. This isn't a... What? It's basically one of those Fred Astaire scenes where it's like a playful slap and then, then she comes up and kisses him. And it's supposed mm. to be charming, but it's this terrible seal animation. Mm. And as they dance, eventually they get to like the crowning moment where they're like sitting there holding each other's fins and laughing. And the crab band stops. Suddenly we flash around to all these various like eels and, and octopi and they're like, a Montague and a Capulet together? This is horrifying. This is disgusting. This is just not right. I don't know why these fish care. They're going to eat you either way, folks. Yeah, I don't think the fish should care. The no. fish are, are just prey for the seals. Yeah. And then there's orange baby fish again. Right. Orange baby fish. The one that Romeo kissed. An orange baby fish lets out a baby gurgle and says, I think they're a lovely couple. The orange baby fish has an opinion? Orange baby fish has an opinion. 
The other fish who have no stake in this now try to kill and kidnap them. What? Why? They're just going to be eaten. I don't know. I can't tell you. <laughs> they fail. Romeo and Juliet flee. There's this long ass chase sequence with the other fish. It just goes on and on and on. But eventually they arrive at an oasis above ground. I sent Annie a picture of this too. I should send you to this one too as well, Kit. Here you go. Let me find This oasis as you showed me this picture. What I'm looking at is I'm looking at I'm looking at the CD cover of a computer game from like nineteen ninety three. Yeah. This movie was made in two thousand six. What? This looks like a free asset from RPG Maker two thousand. Wait, two thousand six? Yeah. That's too soon. In this century? Yeah. Holy sh- That's too soon for it to look like this. I swear to God, I would have thought that this was made, like, in the 90s. 2006. Oh my god. So they get to this oasis. They swim up to a seagull who's clearly traced from Scuttle and the Little Mermaid. Oh no. They swim up to him and they gaze doe-eyed up at him. And he goes, a Montague and a Capulet? And flies away. (laughs) Romeo and Juliet are disheartened by this, but they jump onto that rock. And then Romeo reaches up and grabs the waterfall and moves it in front of them like it's a curtain. When does Mercutio die? When does Mercutio die? (laughs) (laughs) And then they start making out. You can see their shadows come together. So they're fucking. Oh, no. Oh, God. Why is this the children's adaptation that has them be fucking? No. In mine, they haven't even kissed yet. Oh, they kiss all the time. It's sealed with a kiss. (laughs) No. In the background, we hear a little baby gurgle. The fish? It's the fish. It pops its head out of the water. To watch them? To watch them. <laughs> oh, God. No. And then it jumps out of the water and gets comes between their lips. No. And goes, can I kiss him too? What? Oh, God. And then the baby fish starts going on, are you going to have any babies? But not a stinky baby, a cute baby. Mackenzie, what is this? <laughs> it's Romeo and Juliet sealed with a kiss. The little baby fish keeps babbling for a while, like someone just released their two-year-old in the recording booth. It's incoherent. Eventually, after like five minutes of inane baby gabbling, the baby fish suddenly goes, Wait, you're a Capulet and you're a Montague. You can't get married. If the prince finds out, you'll be in big trouble. Okay, bye-bye. No, it says that in, like, baby talk with the Ws? It, it, it Everything it says in a baby talk. Oh, no. We suddenly zoom backwards away from this island, and we find out that the prince is there watching this whole thing, watching them fuck. No! <laughs> prince to bolt Paris. No. Romeo makes a joke about the prince, as he and Juliet are just now randomly swimming away. Suddenly, the prince is behind them, so Romeo and Juliet hide, and the prince swims past. And baby fish zooms up again. He goes, he looked mad. I bet he's looking for you. This is all going to end in tears. No, is the baby an adult or a baby? I hate baby fish more than I hate everything else about this movie. I hate baby fish. I hate baby fish. <laughs> when does Mercutio <laughs> die, Mackenzie? We smash back to Mercutio and Benfolio. Okay. Mercutio's still punning. Is our long national nightmare over? Mercutio is still punning. The Capulets are growing closer. The prince shows up. Wait, so this has just taken like, what, ten minutes? Yeah. Five? This this has just been ten minutes. 
Or they're just like creeping really, really, really slow. But the prince shows up before the Capulus can reach Mercutio. And the prince is like, where is Romeo? And Mercutio tells another Capulet pun. This upsets the prince. It upsets me. (laughs) Mercutio keeps telling the Capulet puns. The prince screams, where's Romeo? Again. Mercutio finally pays attention to the prince so he can start telling fat jokes about the prince. Oh, because he's an elephant seal and he is markedly larger than a regular seal. Romeo charges onto the scene with Juliet watching from the distance. Okay. Romeo's like, hey, prince, I'm here. Hey. Baby fish in the distance goes, no. (laughs) The prince turns on Romeo and says, Juliet is mine. Romeo says, your highness, you're too late. She loves me. There's gasping from all of the Capulets who are hanging out nearby. The prince roars and says she loves you and tries to squish Romeo, which is when Mercutio swings in and lands on top of the prince and starts telling more fat jokes. Mm. And then that transitions into other jokes, which are just about his appearance, which don't make very much sense. Such as your teeth are so crooked, if you sneezed, you'd stab your chest. Uh Uh-huh. The prince and... Mercutio and Romeo are now squabbling and they end up on the rock with the tree. Okay. It's there again. The prince hurls Mercutio off the rock with the tree. Mercutio Mufasas and grabs onto the edge of the rock with the tree. Okay. And it's dangling. And Romeo goes, why the devil did you come between us? And Mercutio replies with, I thought it was for the best. Look for me tomorrow and you'll find me a grave seal. No, he quotes Mercutio's, like... That's when he quotes actual Mercutio? Yes. That's Mercutio's, like, death throw shit. Yep. And then he falls into the water. To be... Or not... To be... He's a seal! Okay, yeah. but that's like, he he'll be fine! Swim. He can breathe! He can swim! He's fine! He's, in fact, dramatically fallen several times before and landed in water and been perfectly fine. But the movie makes sure to fixate on this and show him falling, unmoving into the water. He's fine. Don't worry about it. He comes back later. I I know you're very worried. What? Oh. What? Oh. All the Capulets and the Prince start laughing. Romeo cries in anger and hurls himself at Elephant Seal Prince to bolt Paris. And the cliff with the tree on it breaks and falls into the water, but don't worry, it's fine. Of course it is! And it breaks, and they go tumbling down, and they land on the beach where they're unmoving. In the background, it never actually fell, it's still there, despite having fallen, because I guess they didn't (laughs) want to make a new art asset. (laughs) Juliet charges up and dives on Romeo. They start making out again. The prince stares at this and he gets pissy again. And then the prince says, I banish you, Romeo, to Shark Island. Ah, yes. Shark Island. Which is a threat I forgot existed. I completely forgot about Shark Island until you brought it up again right now. Juliet goes, Romeo! And Romeo says, Juliet! How does he have the power to banish him to Shark Island? On whose authority? (laughs) Because he's the prince elephant seal. (laughs) And Juliet goes, No, your majesty, I love him. Don't do this to us. And the prince replies, no, Juliet, you will love me after we marry tonight. Romeo just kind of dully accepts that he's banished to Shark Island and just starts swimming away. He's not even escorted. He's just like, go. And he's like, okay. He just goes. This is completely unenforced exile. Yeah. 
Juliet starts frantically running along the beach. And as she runs, the beach fades out and we get flashes of the movie we just watched. What? Of people saying, you can't marry a Montague and I love you, Juliet, marry me. Volcanoes go off. To showcase her inner turmoil. And then suddenly we flash to the villain song. Oh, no. Jazz starts playing. Oh, no. I forgot this is a musical. (laughs) I keep forgetting. Prince Elephant Seal Paris Tabalt dances in lava. What? While surrounded by volcanoes. Does he know the friar? I guess. He's dancing about how he's marrying Juliet, but he can't sing. And as stated, he is like 20 feet away and very drunk. So good luck understanding what he's saying. So is that act three? There are stars encircling him serving as his chorus and they all sound like babies. What act is this? (laughs) This is still act three. We're not to Juliet being sad yet. Oh my God. Okay, so the song happens. (laughs) He bathes in magma and the stars continue to sing. The prince talks about because he's fat, he's worth more than Romeo. Um? And then he takes a bath in magma and Juliet collapses sad in front of the cave that Friar Lawrence is in. We'll get to that in Act 4 and starts sobbing about how she misses Romeo. And that's the end of Act 3. That was so much. So I understand the creative decision to merge the characters of Paris and the prince. It makes a kind of sense. To merge Paris, the prince, and Tybalt seems like lunacy. (laughs) Because he can't die. There's nothing that makes sense in Sealed with a Kiss. At this point, my mind has transcended. (laughs) At this point, I am 15 minutes from being done with this damn film. There's only 15 minutes left? There's 15 minutes left. But there's two acts for the play. There's 15 minutes left of this film. Holy shit. Okay, so act four then. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my god, I feel like I'm getting like like a secondhand high from your mania. (laughs) Watching this movie. (laughs) Holy shit. Let's reel that back in and talk about the fight again. Oh, so act four of Romeo and Juliet. Paris reveals that the wedding will occur on Thursday. Juliet is cold to Paris. Friar Lawrence tells Juliet, So I have a cool idea. So I've got this potion that will simulate death for like two days. And it's gonna work great. I think the words four and 20 hours are used in the actual text, so a day. So this is going to make you seem dead for like a day, just completely dead. Nobody's going to be able to tell you're alive. You just take that and then Romeo can come and get you because you're going to tell him beforehand what's going to happen. And you can pretend to be dead. Romeo can come and pick you up. And then you guys can just go back to Mantua, where Romeo is exiled to, since everybody thinks you're dead and and you'll be buried in the Capulet's vault. So it'll be really easy to just grave rob and pick you up and take you out. And it's going to work great. And Juliet says, yes, absolutely. I'm 13 years old. I only make the best decisions. <laughs> it's all the drama of killing myself without actually having to kill myself. It's everything I ever wanted as a dramatic 13-year-old girl. <laughs> Capulet, meanwhile, makes plans for Juliet's wedding. Juliet, who has decided to drink Fire Lawrence's potion and everything is going to be fine, is like, yeah, sure, let's do it. Let's get married. And Capulet's like, oh, my baby girl. And then he's like, okay, great. 
that you should definitely get married to Paris and it's going to make you feel so much better after your cousin Tybalt died. So, you know, you're, you're really into it. Let's move the wedding forward. It's going to be on Wednesday morning, not Thursday, as previously planned. And Juliet's like, oh, no, I was too convincing. <laughs> Juliet succeeds in sleeping alone, which is kind of difficult because otherwise the nurse would just be in her room and she manages to get herself alone for like five minutes to take the potion in privacy. Juliet worries about the friar's intentions before the potion takes effect and she falls asleep and basically just looks dead to the world. Lady Capulet and the nurse, meanwhile, are busy making preparations for the wedding. It is three o'clock in the morning and now Capulet is hearing music announcing Paris's arrival and he tells the nurse to wake Juliet. The Capulets then learn that their daughter Juliet is dead, for all intents and purposes, and the wedding preparations are changed to those of a funeral since they already had all the guests list set up anyway, so. <laughs> <laughs> There's red right at the church, it's just... Don't waste the money. We already put down to the deposit. We've got the flowers. This is just the most economic choice. The caterers are still have planned a whole menu. We had this whole thing all set. The guests are already, you know what? We'll save on the catering. Well, let's just save on the catering. And yes, it was completely normal for funerals to happen this quickly in historical context because they weren't really embalming bodies and they would start to smell very quickly. Yeah, it is very difficult to reserve a body. Oh, natural. Yeah, you had to get that body in the ground right quick. Let the bodies hit the floor, in fact. <laughs> and of course, because this timetable is moved up, that also means that it's going to be really hard to get notice to Romeo about what's happening. And we'll come back to that a little later. So that is act four of the play. Right. Romeo plus Juliet is, again, mostly beat for beat that. It takes some time in an earlier scene to establish that Friar Lawrence has his own like garden of fucked up drug plants to establish why he has a potion that makes you look like you're dead. And also in the play itself, the reason that the letter does not get to Romeo on time is possibly due to those supernatural forces he invoked the wrath of by committing the act of kinslaying. But in Romeo plus Juliet, it's just because Friar Lawrence trusts the delivery of the letter to FedEx, which was his largest and most lethal mistake of his life. So of course, FedEx coughs gently in the direction of the door that Romeo is staying in <laughs> in like this trailer out in the middle of nowhere decides that he's not home and then leaves a we called letter and like little sticker in like the worst possible place where nobody would ever see it thanks FedEx excellent and that will be in act five and also it skips the whole hey let's move the wedding up bit it just goes directly to Juliet being like yeah I'm excited for my wedding please sleep somewhere else so I have privacy to drink poison <laughs> You know, just, just pre-wedding jitters. Yeah. It's definitely fine. As you can imagine, that's not really how it goes in Nomeo and Juliet. No. We have almost fully departed from the text at this juncture. Oh, God. What happens immediately following Nomeo's apparent crushing in the street is there is another character I've neglected to mention because I can't tell if it's a person or a dog. And his name <laughs> is Shroom. I'm concerned. It's a little ceramic mushroom that kind of sniffs stuff, but it doesn't like bark or like demand pets. But they also seem to treat it like it's a little brother character. But it also has like hunting dog features in terms of what it does for the plot. So this is Shroom. And Shroom goes to sniff out the ceramic and discovers that the ceramic is actually just a broken up blue teapot that fell out of the back of a truck that I guess is just full of loose teapots. Okay. Just completely stuffed to the gills because another teapot smashes as it, like, comes up against, like, a stop sign or something. And by the way, the company is called Tempest Teapots. 
Oh. Oh, no. Oh. I don't know why that disgusts me. Yeah. It's the loose teapots that really get me. They're not, like, packaged in anything. Nomeo, who has grabbed onto the mud flap, manages to escape, only to then be grabbed by a bulldog that has been wandering around the alley at night previously in the movie, which I guess is just a thing you do still? In 2011, you just let your dog out at night? I thought that was something people just did in, like, the 60s, which is why they do it in the Flintstones. <laughs> I wouldn't rely on the kind of Hollywood writers that would produce a movie called Nomeo and Juliet to understand <laughs> what it is normal people do. <laughs> Their entire conception of human behavior is based entirely on stuff they've seen in movies. <laughs> they haven't talked to a real human being in literally decades. <laughs> It took three people to write this movie. <laughs> oh, so Nomeo gets grabbed by a bulldog, which honestly must have some very gentle jaws, considering it's only got pointy teeth in its mouth and slobbers, and it manages not to even put, like, a scrape on this ceramic gnome. But he picks him up and carries him around this little village, eventually tries to bury him in a construction site, and then Nomeo escapes, is now tossed into a park where a bunch of school children in uniforms pick him up and throw him around for fun, which okay. is kind of like being exiled to Mantua. <laughs> sure. Meanwhile, we cut back to Juliet, who is too sad to even say anything, and she has also been glued to the top of the tower by her feet, by her dad, who's like, it's for your own good. Because everybody believes that Romeo is... Sorry. Everyone believes that Nomeo is dead. Meanwhile, the blues grieve Nomeo by making, like, a bunch of garland features that are Nomeo-shaped. And then lay them down around the toilet in the yard. Which makes you wonder if Ms. Capulet ever looks outside and is like, what the hell? <laughs> I didn't make those. What's a Nomeo? <laughs> Benny, meanwhile, decides to swear revenge, and he is going to sneak into the house, ignoring Shroom, who tries to get his attention, but Shroom is nonverbal. So Shroom goes to the garden, finds Featherstone, they do some wacky Lassie fell down the well jokes. Oh. Yeah, and eventually leads him off down the street because, again, it doesn't matter if a car sees you. It just matters if, like, a person sees you. All of the jokes in this movie sound like the person who wrote them theoretically knows what a joke is. He's heard of jokes. Yeah, he's never fully understood one in their life. <laughs> he knows that people say jokes and that when you say jokes... He knows they exist. It's like when a little kid, like figures out their first joke and they know it's a simple stimulus response thing, but they don't understand why things are funny or how. Simply that you say these words in this order and then laughter happens. Benny, meanwhile, has snuck into the house, finds the laptop, and there's a sequence where him touching the keys makes little like sounds, like like little error message, like bunk noises. And somehow this also works when he uses the touchpad. And so there's an extended bit where he does a little dance on the touchpad to make things happen. And it does like a synth beat. And... Oh, for God's sake. I guess it's funny. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, he buys the Power Thirst lawnmower that costs about 10,000 pounds. Oh, God. Yeah. 
And there's a porcelain doll on a table on like a shelf above the laptop. Then looks down at Benny, mimes with her fingers, call me. Oh my god. The porcelain dolls are also alive. So the porcelain dolls are also alive. I don't like it. What is not sentient in this setting? I don't know. Meanwhile, Nomeo has managed to climb to the top of a statue in this park and starts telling the whole story of all of his woes to the statue, who is William Shakespeare and is also alive and seems to also have a bit of William Shakespeare's memories. What? And is voiced by Patrick Stewart. Haunting. I hate it. Yes. And the statue is like, huh, there's remarkable similarities to another story I know. No. (laughs) No. And he tells Nomeo about how... They do the thing. Juliet feigns her death. Spoilers for Act 5. Romeo takes poison. Juliet stabs herself. And Nomeo is like, they both die? That's a bad ending. Oh my god. And Shakespeare is like, well, I guess he could have gotten back to Juliet in time. But, you know, it is a tragedy. I like that they both die. They, 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 They talk about how Romeo could have gotten home to avert disaster and save Juliet. But it misses the point where Romeo doesn't get the message that Juliet's only pretending to be dead. He just thinks Juliet's dead. So there's not like going back to save her. It's So the movie itself isn't totally clear on exactly what happens in the play Romeo and Juliet. And also these three Hollywood screenwriters trying to prove they're smarter than a 500-year-old playwright. It very much smacks of like, huh, we can do a better version of this story. Oh my god. With garden gnomes. With garden gnomes. And Nomeo is like, but there should be a different ending and a better one where they both live and they're smart or something. And that, that pretty much sums up modern screenwriting, doesn't it? And the statue's just like, I don't know, man, it's a tragedy. I don't know what to tell you. At some point, he figures out that something bad is going off at home. I think Shroom and Featherstone find him and they rush off. That part's not in my notes, but that is basically the end of Act 4 for this one. We bought a lawnmower with one hour delivery. Uh, Miss Montague was going to have a 10,000 pound bill, probably with like another Hunsky for shipping. Oh, boy. And she's an old lady. (laughs) They don't give you free shipping if you spend $10,000 on a lawnmower? I don't think so, because there was free shipping, and then he selected the one-hour delivery. Oh, for God's sake. And this is from, like, a small website that only sells lawnmowers. So... Lawnmower.net. The good news is it's the UK, so at most it's a five-hour drive. So this, like, octogenarian on a, who's probably on a pension is, um... She's gonna be getting a fun bill later. <laughs> we bought a lawnmower, and we dunked on Romeo and Juliet in our movie Nomeo and Juliet. That's our act four. For sake. In act four of Seal with a Kiss starts with Romeo oh. sitting on Shark Island and staring into space. Oh, God. Which is a lot like Mantua. <laughs> <laughs> Baby Fish shows up. No, Baby Fish? Oh, God. Baby Fish is back. I thought we were done with this character. No, Baby Fish <laughs> stays until the end. No. Baby fish shows up and just rambles incoherently for a few minutes. And then abruptly baby fish starts singing Twinkle Twinkle Little Star. No. Wait, wait, like actually Twinkle Twinkle Little yes. Star or like baby fish starts going Twinkle Twinkle Little oh my Star. God. How and now you I said wonder why I you swear are. to God, Mackenzie. You said that like earlier Juliet was singing a song. Yeah, earlier, Juliet was singing Whomst Thou Lovest or whatever. And that was to the tune of Twinkle Twinkle Little Star. Yeah, but now Baby Fish is just singing straight Twinkle Twinkle Little Star. 
Did they forget that they don't have to pay for Twinkle Twinkle Little Star? Phil Nibelink was, was doing the Michaela Law style of writing, and he was writing forward, never looking back. <laughs> yeah, that sounds right. No backspace. No backspace. But as Baby Fish starts singing Twinkle Twinkle Little Star, the NASA space picture has two stars start glowing more. No, we're back at the NASA space picture? Yeah, the NASA space picture appears again. Oh, because they're star-crossed! Yeah. No! The stars glow brighter, and then they shoot across the sky. No! And then Baby Fish kisses Romeo and gurgles and leaves. What? And Romeo says, thank you. What the f*** was that? I don't know. Did that restore his motivation? Is he saying thank you for the smooch? I don't know. We then see sharks swirling around Shark Island. By which I mean one (laughs) shark copy-pasted. (laughs) <laughs> and then we flash to Juliet arriving to Friar Otter and crying. Friar Lawrence Otter says, you have no choice but to go through with this wedding to the prince. We then focus on Juliet Seal's crying face for 45 solid seconds. Nothing else happens. Oh, Jesus. And then the otter gets a clever look in his eye and he starts singing yet another in the Dark of the Night song. But this one's about how clever he is and how he has a clever plot. And he starts throwing random things into his lava cauldron. And he says, What I'm making now will make you look dead. <laughs> Why is the friar like this? He puts the lava poison into a clamshell and hands it to Juliet. Lava. Lava in a clamshell. Juliet holds it and she takes a drink and falls dead. Immediately? And Mercutio... Sitting at the entrance to the cave. No, we did not know he was there until this moment. Says, oh, what a tangled web we weave. First off, f*** off Mercutio. (laughs) Second, if you do drink lava, you will in fact look like you're dead. Because you'll be dead. (laughs) We then flash to all the white Capulet seals with elephant seal bedecked in the tux up front. Why is he wearing clothes? Why does the elephant seal wear clothes? Where did he get the clothes and the toupee? Where did he get know. these human accoutrements? <laughs> the toupee isn't back. The toupee is gone. Where did he get people things? <laughs> He's just standing at the front. There's an aisle. What is a man? Uh, the wedding march starts playing. And then Friar Otter shows up carrying dead Juliet. Oh, God, I just realized a seal is technically a featherless biped. Oh, no. <laughs> What is a man? No! Behold a man! (laughs) Oh! The Capulets all start instantly weeping upon seeing Juliet dead in the otter's hands. The otter puts her down, and he's like, okay, now I can go tell Romeo this is all fake. And he turns, but Benvolio has started swimming across the shark-infested waters to tell Romeo. And this otter's like, oh no, bad idea! And that's the end of Act 4. So you have, like, what, three minutes left? About five minutes. Wowzers. If this doesn't end with these seals dead, I'm going to be mad. I think you're going to be mad, Kit. You're going to be very mad. Uh, They didn't even have the stones to kill Mercutio. Oh, boy. Okay. Every time we have to go from seal with a kiss to the play Romeo and Juliet, I feel like I have to surface (laughs) from a fever dream. (laughs) (laughs) You have to recalibrate your brain. I have to completely reset everything. My brain is still lost. You're still adrift after having to actually look at these things (laughs) happening. It's bad enough listening to you describe it. Again, like, I saw, like, five minutes of the animation and- It's all on YouTube, Mm. if you want to watch it. I understand why she is 
gone. <laughs> Oof. Lucas, are you going to watch this? It's all on YouTube, Lucas. Don't, don't watch, watch it, Lucas. Lucas. You don't have to. Do- you watch Theodore Rex on purpose. You don't have to watch Seal with a Kiss. It's the romance of the century, Lucas. So we're in the home stretch here, folks. We're in the last act. We're in Act 5 of Romeo and Juliet. This is where the body count goes up again significantly. We're just going to have a pile of bodies in a sepulcher, essentially. Romeo is in Mantua. He learns of Juliet's death and decides, well, they're going to kill me if I show up in Verona again, but also I do want to see my wife. Even though she is dead, I do want to see my wife. And also, let me just stop by the apothecary on my way out and just pick up some poison for myself. It's just a little pick-me-down. Meanwhile, a friend of Friar Lawrence, Friar John, says, Friar Lawrence, hey, um, actually, Romeo did not get the letter about Juliet not being dead because not only did this timetable screw everything up for moving the wedding forward, screwing up this whole time thing of like how long Juliet has to pretend to be dead and when they can actually like set this whole thing in motion. But also there's been a whole case of plague come around town. Kind of shuts down everything. <laughs> As we may be aware of how a plague can just sure to shut down everything. (laughs) Again, possible supernatural intervention. We have firmly established Romeo never got this letter that Juliet is not in fact dead. So he's just going on natural. He's just like, I'm just going to get some poison. It's going to be great. Side note, it's also just kind of funny to read this play as an American and have to have the cliff notes in high school explain to you what an apothecary is, because we don't use that word in our vernacular. We say pharmacist or pharmacy. (laughs) So apothecary just sounds like, what the hell is that supposed to be? Anyway, Friar Lawrence tries to again inform Romeo of the plan and heads off to the Capulet burial chamber where Juliet should soon awaken anytime. It's been enough time. They've had the funeral. She's just lying on a beer, essentially. And meanwhile, at this beer, Paris mourns his bride because he was going to get married to her. And then they had to turn it into a funeral instead to save on the catering. (laughs) And he's real bummed about it, y'all. He heads off for like a second and long enough for Romeo to arrive, open up Juliet's coffin and be like, hello, baby. And there's a whole soliloquy about it, probably. I, I forget. <laughs> yeah, there's there's a whole soliloquy. But then Paris comes in and he's like, what are you doing to this dead corpse? <laughs> what what are, are you? What are you doing? What the f*** are you doing here? And then, of course, to defend the corpse's honor, fights Romeo because he's like, you're desecrating a grave. What the hell, dude? Uh, Paris does not make it out of that one alive. (laughs) And Romeo's like, oh, dang it. Oh, shit. Oh, hell. (laughs) Places Paris's corpse besides Juliet's definite corpse. And then Romeo just takes his poison, kisses Juliet, and he croaks. And then Friar Lawrence arrives to see two dudes, two corpses, hanging out with Juliet, who then wakes up. (laughs) And it's like, oh, hey, hey, Lawrence, where's my husband? Oh. Don't turn around. Yikes. And Friar Lawrence is like, all right, grieving 13-year-old with two bodies lying on her. I'll just leave you. I'll just give you a minute. I'm just going to leave you alone. Juliet kisses Romeo, takes a dagger. It's like, ah, this is great. Back to plan A. (laughs) (laughs) You know, yay noise, then I'll be brief. Happy dagger, this is thy sheath, their rest and let me die. Stabs herself. And then 
the prince, the Capulets, the Montagues arrive. Friar Lawrence fesses up about the whole damn thing. And this summary is very funny because it says the prince scolds the two families. <laughs> Which this sounds like a very funny way to describe being like, look at what you fucking did. <laughs> yeah, scold is a technically correct word, but not an emotionally correct word. <laughs> no. Scold is something you do when like a child spills juice on the floor. Scold is what you do when your cat spills your onions. <laughs> you don't necessarily do that when you're looking at, like, three bodies piled up on top of each other after a series of wacky hijinks <laughs> to try and get married. Eventually, the Capulets and Montagues are like, oh, right, well, maybe this has gone too far. How about we just stop this for a while? Let's just not. And then this ends with the prince basically turning to the audience and being like, so how about that play, huh? <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, most Shakespeare plays end with a character turning to the audience and being like, so how about that play? A glooming peace this morning with it brings. The sun for sorrow will not show his head. Go hence to have more talk of these sad things. Some shall be pardoned and some punished. For never was a story of more woe than this of Juliet and her Romeo. That's all, folks. How about that play, folks? How about that play, folks? How about that play, folks? Talks amongst yourselves. <laughs> Tell your friends. I'll give you a topic. Romeo and Juliet, discuss. So Romeo plus Juliet does most of that. Romeo, in this case, like I said, he's living out in basically Burning Man country in a trailer. FedEx fails to deliver a letter and then Balthazar, who like bursts in on the uh, funeral for no apparent reason, then goes off to tell Romeo that, yo, your wife's dead. And then instead of the other monk coming to Friar Lawrence and saying, hey, I couldn't deliver that letter, he instead has a presentiment that something is wrong, goes to FedEx and FedEx is like, yeah, nobody answered. We coughed quietly in the direction of the guy's trailer. <laughs> nobody answered so we figured the letter was undeliverable we did everything we could we did absolutely everything we could thanks fedex the true fedex way romeo comes back to verona los angeles and then they cut the duel with paris in favor of a helicopter chase where what? the cops are after him and Hold he up. ends up holding someone at gunpoint outside of the church <laughs> so Come again? Helicopter chase. Hold up. They just wholesale replaced the character of Paris with helicopters in this sequence. This also means that Paul Rudd makes it out of Romeo plus Juliet alive. <laughs> Holy shit. The part of Paris for the remainder of the film will now be played by a helicopter. <laughs> with the prince in it. A helicopter with Paul Rudd in its tummy. No, Paul Rudd's not in the helicopter. The prince is in the helicopter. <laughs> prince is right, right. The police. Captain Prince, the chief of police. Forgive me, I got confused by Mackenzie's Prince Tibble, Paris. <laughs> uh, so yeah, Romeo holds someone at gunpoint so he can get inside the church, sees her lying out on the beer. Before he got went to the, quote, apothecary, it was clearly just like a drug dealer in a basement, which was very fun. And so the vial of poison he's got is like this teeny tiny little vial, absolutely tiny. Excellent. The main change with the Romeo poisons himself scene he does the whole soliloquy. He skips the part where he kills Paris. He drinks the poison, but like in the lead up to him drinking the poison, you can see like Juliet starting to stir on the beer. And then as he drinks the poison, she actually touches him on the cheek. So the last thing he sees before he dies is that Juliet is alive. Ooh, that's good, actually. 
That's 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 actually that works. That's some good quality <laughs> Boz Lerman melodrama. And then the final soliloquy is not Captain Prince yelling at Montague and Capulet. The final soliloquy is again delivered by that little vintage TV with the news broadcast on it. Nice. Ugh. Well, oh, also Juliet shoots herself in the head instead of stabbing herself. Oh shit! Oh shit! Romeo has his gun on him. She's just like, oh, I'll kiss you because poison. And then there isn't enough poison. So she has a good cry and then sees that he's got his gun on him still and shoots herself in the head. Yowza, that is a bit more dire than a stab. <laughs> it's um, it's a lot. Woof <laughs> a doodle. I remember being on web forums for years afterwards. And if you were edgy, your signature image was that picture with Juliet with the gun to her head. <laughs> Great. So that's Romeo plus Juliet. Right. Well, Nomeo and Juliet has lawnmowers again. <laughs> because the power thirst lawnmower has arrived, and Benny is basically doing a Mike Mulligan tear shit up. Look at this fucking lawnmower. This is gonna be awesome. <laughs> Why the lawnmowers, though? <laughs> well, the lawnmower is like, it's a writing lawnmower, but it's like a writing lawnmower for somebody who is extremely insecure <laughs> about everything in their life. Benny gets on the power through lawnmower. Of course, it's got like an onboard touchscreen user interface and voice recognition and cameras and like a little like computer voice that I think is still Hulk Hogan. Side note, fuck Hulk Hogan. <laughs> it starts wreaking havoc over the red yard. It just like tears down the fence and just starts like rolling over all of the little features and like flowers and stuff. But then the mower throws Benny off and now it is surpassed its masters and wants only for destruction. <laughs> the gnomes, while this is happening, start fighting again. Paris is there. He is sort of metaphorically slain, but mostly he's just pummeled by blueberries because they're fighting with fruits. Yes, of course. Okay. So Paris gets hit with blueberries and falls over, but the frog is like, oh no, I love you, or something, because they get together, the nurse and Paris. Oh god. Yeah, the score keeps doing this, like, danger theme that involves Rocket Man. Oh god. Oh, no. It's very weird. Juliet, who meanwhile is still glued to the tower, is now in the sights of the lawnmower, which has decided that that is the point it needs to destroy, is Juliet specifically... I don't know why, but Nomeo arrives just in time to try and take her away and scoop her up, but they can't get the glue off of her feet, and Nomeo and Juliet cower together as the lawnmower approaches. They straight up seem to agree to die together, not quite in a Toy Story 3 way, but oh god, <laughs> very much like, oh no. we will die here, let's be together. Oh, for fuck's sake. Lady Blueberry... And Lord Redbrick both see their children up on this tower. And then the lawnmower, like, launches itself and lands on this, like, tower feature. And there is destruction. There is a fire that you can see from a distance because we cut to the park where the William Shakespeare statue looks at that and it's like, told him. <laughs> <laughs> what the just a very petulant statue of William Shakespeare, like, told him it was going to end badly. <laughs> I knew it. Told him. It's better strategy. <laughs> 
Back in the gardens, gnomes slowly rise from the debris and gather at the remains of the tower. Blueberry and Red Brick are like, oh no, our children are dead. Our gnome children. Don't ask us how that works. Don't ask us how these gnome children came to be. <laughs> you don't want the answer to that. You do not. Shroom is also there and like sniffs at the rubble and slowly shakes its mushroom cap <laughs> to say no, they're definitely dead. Everyone grieves the loss of Nomeo and Juliet and the parents are like, ugh, you're right. We're both to blame here. Our feud killed our children. Let's lay the feud to rest. And as they shake their hands, some speakers start kicking in. No. And there's the strange muffled sound. The birds sing words and the flowers croon in the tiki 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 And the features that were turned on by the switch start pushing the rubble up around them. And from the debris rise Romeo and Juliet. Completely fine. I hate this. Oh my god. I hate this so much. I would have thought that, like, you know, maybe seeding in the first act that Juliet is really delicate more than she knows would be like, oh, my God, what if she, like, breaks? But they're like gnomes. They're like lawn gnomes. So maybe they can just glue them back together. But then Tybalt dies. <laughs> so we've established that lawn gnomes can die and then Nomeo and Juliet don't die. They don't die. They're fine. They're completely fine. Nomeo turns to Juliet and says, I don't know about you. But I think this ending is much better. Fuck you. <laughs> and not only is there that, but also Juliet doesn't know what the hell he's talking about. <laughs> the movie doesn't acknowledge that, but Juliet would have zero context for whatever the fuck he's saying. Fuck you, movie. Ms. Montague and Mr. Capulet both arrive home at the same time, and you hear them screaming at the destruction of their lawn. <laughs> and because it's the most 2011 movie that could happen it's a dance party ending no <laughs> there's elton john weather veins there's a big dance party there's not even like much of a like conclusion to did they not put the fence back did they rebuild the yards maybe they're all purple now because that's what happens when you mix red and blue it doesn't show you any kind of denouement for what happened with the yards or did Montague and Capulet, like, decide to be friends. Nothing. It's just them dancing. Like, they're doing, like, a line dance where, as though they're doing, like, a casting call where everyone is facing the audience. They just all get into a, a line that's perpendicular to the camera and couples dance down the line. Also, Tybalt's here? Tybalt died, though. Tybalt got glued back together, and I guess that restored consciousness to his tiny ceramic frame. Oh, no. For fuck's sake. Benny got together with the porcelain doll. Right, of course. Heterosexuality. Yes, of course. Yeah, he went online, back on the laptop, ordered a used lawn flamingo for Featherstone that it turns out is his flamingo wife, which, by the way, is a completely identical flamingo, but there's some Sharpie lines for eyelashes on the side. Of course. So they get back together. Some aggressive heterosexuality in this. I can see why they cut Mercutio. That bitch gay. <laughs> Nomeo and Juliet then sit on top of the old rusted lawnmower they found, which has now been restored and painted purple. And there's a sign hanging on the back that says, Matronomy. No. Matronomy. Matronomy. No, I refuse. See, it's like matrimony, but they're gnomes. 
David Tutera, I would like a gnome flavored wedding, please. <laughs> Imagine. <laughs> and then they ride off after the dance party. And then the movie over the credits treats you to another rendition of the, may I remind you, Elton John Lady Gaga heterosexual love ballad. Beautiful. It was nominated for a few awards. It did not win any of them. Because it was a joke that went too far. The whole movie is a joke that went too far. The whole movie is a joke that went too far. So the, the joke was, Romeo sounds a bit like a gnome. And then yeah. the whole plot just spins out from there. Yeah. The whole joke was, hey, what if Romeo and Juliet, but garden gnomes, so it's Gnomeo and Juliet. And then they decided to make a whole less from the sounds of the actors in a very expensive movie. Yeah, there's a lot of like star f***ing in terms of the of the casting here. I hate that this exists. I can't help but wonder how many very good screenplays did not get made in 2011 because this did. You know, there's a sequel. No. Romeo and Juliet 2, Sherlock Gnomes. No. Yes. No, I refuse. I think Hugh Laurie plays Sherlock Gnomes. I hate this. You know, let me just double check real quick. Sherlock Gnomes 2018 film. Oh, no, it's worse than that. No. Sherlock Gnomes is played by Johnny Depp. I hate this. Yeah. I hate it. Yeah. Oh, Emily Blunt was Juliet, by the way. Why? James McAvoy was Nomeo. Why? Both of those are very good actors who didn't need to debase themselves like this. That's correct. Oh, there's Michael Caine. I guess he reprised the role as Lord Redbrick. So that's Nomeo and Juliet. I'm pretty sure that was the most accurate film that we're going to have today. Juan Morris and Hulk Hogan. <sighs> so Act 5 of Sealed with Kiss starts with the otter trying to get to Shark Island. Right. <laughs> but as he's trying to get to Shark Island, he encounters a shark. A shocker. No, really? A shark. On the way to Shark Island. They start fighting. Okay. We then get to Benvolio, who arrives at Shark Island, completely unmolested by sharks. And he climbs up. Because <laughs> they're all trying to eat the fur. Yeah. Romeo's like, hey, Benvolio, you're here. And Benvolio just sighs out in his nasal voice. Juliet's dead. And then we smash cut to a black and white seal face of Romeo. For 30 seconds. I counted. 30 whole seconds. Wait, why is it black and white? He's brown. Yeah, just black and white. Because it's supposed to show his heart, I guess. Also, they were padding for time at this point. They were running under. We then cut to what looks like a tentacle flailing and dancing and singing about sharks. No. But it turns out that's the otter's bare tail, because I guess the shark ate his fur. What? And it's just flailing around. He's skinned? He's just skinned, and it's attempting to seduce the shark with his butt. What? No. The shark grabs the otter and yoinks him down, and in the process, yoinks so hard that they fall onto the Titanic, and they fall- The Titanic's back. The Titanic's back. Does this guy know how water no. works? And they fall <laughs> into the ballroom of the Titanic, where the crab band is playing again. Why? Do they live there? And Baby Fish is there. Baby Fish is back? Why is Baby Fish still in this movie? <laughs> Baby Fish insults the shark. When do we get a rap on Baby Fish? Baby Fish <laughs> saves Otter's life. Oh my god. Baby Fish guides Otter through the Titanic while the shark is following them. Baby Fish is integral to the plot. I've learned from looking at IMD that her name is Kissy the Kissy Fish. 
No. I hate it. And Kissy the Kissy Fish <laughs> guides the shark into a net and turns around and says, You're in time out. I'm asking you politely once to stop. The shark keeps going. She goes, I'm asking you politely twice to stop. And the shark keeps going. No. And then it breaks through the net and it like opens up its mouth to eat her and the otter. And she goes, Okay, I warned you. Here's my school friends. And a bunch of no. identically copy-pasted kissy fishes show up. No. And she goes, okay, everybody, you know what time it is. It's spanking time. No. no. And all the baby no. fishes start spanking the shark. <gasps> and the shark starts yipping like a chihuahua. No. And runs away. No. I hate this. You said there were only five minutes left. Why is this still in here? There are only five minutes left. <laughs> And Baby Fish says, It's still a vista bee. What? I'll be back. Gurgles and swims away. Hasta la vista? Estella vista bee. Like, I'll be back. Like the Terminator. Like quoting the Terminator. Yes. Huh? And then she gurgles and leaves. Then we smash cut to Romeo walking down the aisle of crying Capulets towards dead Juliet, who drank magma. And he gets up to her and stares at her. Are they underwater or above water right now? The other Capulets... Stop crying and stare at him as he approaches. No, where are they? Are they above water or underwater? What are the physics of the scenario? They're They're, they're above water. Okay, sure. He's walking. All right. Romeo kisses dead Juliet and a blue haze forms over their lips. No, it's a magic. And then bubbles start popping up and he faints. Is it a magic true love potion? We then zoom out and a bunch of seals as uh, they've passed out. I think I got a picture of this. Let me see if I can find this picture for you. I know you want to oh, see no. it. I know you do. <laughs> I don't think we do. <laughs> no. I know you do. Why wouldn't you want to see it? <laughs> I did get a picture of this. Excellent. Perfect. I love okay. this. We zoom out on all these intermingled seals as they lie dead next to each other. This is the ironic seals are together thing, except you think they're all dead? Yeah. or yeah. While we zoom out, we get Twinkle Twinkle Little Star in minor key. What? Jesus Christ. What? <laughs> like a movie trailer? Your minor key. Friar Otter runs up. See what you're hated? Baby Fish hops up next to Friar Otter and is like, Yeah, see what you're hated? Oh my god. I hate you, Baby Fish. I hate you, Kissy the Kissy Fish. All the seals start crying. And then in the distance, there's a cowabunga. No. No. And we pan to Mercutio surfing in. No. And Mercutio lands on his wave next to dead Romeo and Juliet and just screams at them. Literally just a scream. No. Just a wordless scream. A wordless scream. Like just ah. Just ah. Which causes Juliet to wake up. What? She giggles and kisses Romeo. What? Who wakes up and they kiss. Why did they both die? And that's the end. That's the that's end? the end of the movie? Yes. There's no denouement for you? There's no denouement. They just kiss, and then it smash cuts, and it's over. There's no credits. <laughs> There's no credits? That's just it. There's no credits? It ends. <laughs> and that's it. No! That's our ending. Mackenzie, I hate this. Holy shit! That's the movie I watched, guys. Oh my god! I, I, God, I hate dance party endings and even, 
Wow! It just ended. Mercutio screamed, Juliet woke up and kissed Romeo, and then it ended. Holy shit. Okay, 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 okay. So obviously in terms of whose adaptation was the most accurate, obviously that goes to Kit, but I want to know which one of us gets second place. I think it's honestly sealed with a kiss. I don't think quality is a factor here. I think it might actually be sealed with a kiss. Yeah, you didn't have lawnmower races. I didn't. You mostly just had seal fights. Yeah. And they did actually get married and fuck. Yeah. The seals did fuck. That is that is important to the narrative. Seals did fuck. It is actually genuinely important to the narrative that they fucked because that means the marriage was consummated and therefore like binding. Also, the prince just kind of disappeared. Wait, yeah. He's just not there He's anymore. He's not there anymore. Wait, yeah, what happened to him? I don't know. He was there and then Juliet was brought dead and the prince just stopped existing in this film. The wedding is over and he just left? Just left, gone. And then it ended. I don't know. How? So, with that, we have proven that Romeo and Juliet gets adapted wrong. <laughs> okay, so like, I mean, the, th- the big thing, right, is that like, so many adaptations just show a fundamental lack of understanding of what are actually the important beats in Romeo and Juliet that you have to hit in order to tell the story that it's about. Like, they do have to die. They do have to die. <laughs> that is part of the whole thing. They have to fuck and they have to die. They have to fuck, marry, kill. They have to do all three. Not necessarily in that order, but the whole deal is that, yeah, Romeo and Juliet are dumb kids who make dumb decisions, but none of those decisions would have been lethal if it weren't for this fucking noble blood feud between these two houses. Yes, the whole idea is not necessarily that Romeo and Juliet are the dumbest ass teens in the world, which they are because they're regular ass horny teens. They're 13 and 15. They can't be held responsible for making, like, good decisions. When you're that young, literally everything that happens to you is the best and or worst thing that's ever happened to you. Their brains won't finish developing for another, like, 10 to 12 years. But it is the fact that blame is very firmly placed upon the parents and the entire family around that that has just allowed this whole shit to just keep going over and over again to the point where, like, it got to this juncture. The problem is that we have reached this scenario in which all of these very stupid decisions made by horny teenagers seem like they might be good ideas. And it is, again, about that whole, like, the law of ancient blood feuds versus the modern law of you can't fucking live like that. The cycle of revenge never, ever ends. Hypothetically, it is about an attempt to break a cycle of generational trauma. Uh, but this one just sort of inflicts more trauma. <laughs> A bigger trauma to kill all the other traumas. (laughs) Like a kaiju that you, like when you build a mecha Godzilla to fight all the other kaiju. Is that a good idea? No. Is it an idea? Yeah. Does it work? Sure. Does it make Godzilla team up with Mothra and King Ghidorah to fight you? Sure does. I think my favorite piece of lazy Romeo and Juliet criticism is, well, why didn't Romeo check to see whether she was still alive? Thing one, she was drugged so that she did not appear alive, so checking a pulse wouldn't have worked. Thing two, she was in a crypt. She was literally dead and buried at a funeral. Do you go up to the casket and check up for a pulse? What's wrong with you? I mean, in Victorian times, sometimes you do bury people with little bells just to be sure, but this is not one of those times. (laughs) No, they're pretty damn sure she was dead. It is, in fact... A suspend your disbelief death potion. This is a dramatic story. 
people do not have to do sensible things here or have sensible options. Or even they can do and say things that are sensible within the context that they exist. They are not modern day middle class Americans with therapists and access to the internet. You know, you're 13 to 15. You just make whatever idea seems best for you at the time, especially if it involves you having sex. (laughs) What if you had sex, though? And the allosexual 13 to 15 year old brain is like, yes, do that thing. (laughs) Do it, do it, do it, do it. Do it. And that's Romeo and Juliet. In retrospect, one of us probably should have watched West Side Story. (laughs) It should have been me. Stephen Sondheim even wrote the lyrics for that one. I feel like of all three of us, you are the pick to watch West Side Story. You know, I've never actually seen West Side Story. I don't know how. Again, it's West Side Story and Stephen Sondheim wrote the lyrics book for that. (laughs) I love me a Sondheim. You do love you a Sondheim. This is what we have, though. We have Romeo and Juliet and Sealed with a Kiss and the outlier Romeo plus Juliet. Actually a fairly loyal adaptation. The spider's Georg of of (laughs) Romeo and Juliet adaptations. Yeah, strangely accurate considering the others it's dealing with. (laughs) Well, that I think is going to do it for us, folks. People don't tend to do Romeo and Juliet well. I'm just stuck thinking about these fucking movies. I'm having a moment. How did you even find Sealed with a Kiss? Was it another one of the DVDs that your dad ripped for you, Mackenzie? I don't even think that was it. I think it was just randomly on Netflix streaming at the time. What? How? Well, because the rights were super, super cheap. (laughs) Yeah, but you'd think there's some degree of quality control that would stop this from happening. This was like, what, 2010? Yeah, that was the Wild West of streaming. Yeah, that was Wild West streaming. It was any rights you could get. You just put it on your service and damn the consequences. Next time, you know what? I'm just going to make up for my mistake and I'm just going to make all of us watch a Sondheim. <laughs> Next time, we will be talking about a musical that I love a lot, Stephen Sondheim's Into the Woods. And we will be talking about the adaptation and the original, notably that And this is a placeholder fact, so don't hold me to this to say the same thing next time, folks. Play and film act structures are different, and when you change them in adaptations, you can lose the whole point of the show. That's going to be the gist. Don't worry about it. It's fine. (laughs) Join us next time when we'll be talking about Into the Woods. In the meantime... I Will Fight You comes out every five weeks. You can find it wherever you download podcasts. It is edited by Lucas Brown of The Math of You. If you would like to support us, a like, rating, review, subscribe, wherever you find us. Comments are always nice. You can find us on, you know, social medias, question marks, just kind of, you know, there's a Twitter at the moment, but... Who knows? Who knows? We have a Discord, (laughs) I guess. As well as this other thing, Discord is the most reliable thing to contact us on. Yeah, I'm kind of working out maybe some kind of mailing list thing. Uh, you know, just work with us here. It's interesting times here in the year of our Lord 2023. But you can support us by talking to us about our shows. That's always nice. You can also give us money if you want at patreon.com slash the gem jam for a couple bucks a month. You can get early access to I Will Fight You episodes uh, at our $5 tier. We have show notes for behind the scenes. And and those tiers also have a bunch of stuff for our other shows, Date Me Damn It and Gem Jammer. You can find out more about those shows as well as just general things, updates on our episodes and stuff on our website, crookedrussiancam.horse or crookedrussiancam.gay. <laughs> Join us next time to talk about Into the Woods. In the meantime, I'm Annie. I'm Kit. 
I think he swallowed a little sushi and it went down the wrong pipe. You know what I'm talking about? That's Mac. That's Mac Cushio. <laughs> and we have fought you. <laughs> oh, God. Wait, no, our final facts. No, skip it. <laughs> Bye. Don't do dance party endings, folks. <laughs> Maybe just have all your characters die instead. That one was mine. John Leguizamo Tybalt is my new gender. That's mine. Good. <laughs> now too many sleep slugs gonna be bad for your digestion. Take that from a Kyushio. <laughs> and we have fought you. Bye. Good night, everybody. <laughs>